first for news. Catherine, just before you go... Yes. Sorry, you, you buzzed down to say something during that bulletin. I, I missed it. What, what, what were you suggesting I might have? Um, a stubbed toe. Thanks very much. Didn't sound like that. Oh, well. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past six. It's early. It's early, but it's Friday. So that kind of makes up for it, doesn't it? I always find that however tired I am on a Friday, I can get through it because, to quote R. Kelly, it's the freaking weekend, baby. I'm about to have me some fun. Lots on the show this morning, including, as you heard in the news there, why an increasing number of children are being homeschooled in the three counties. If kids aren't taught in the classroom... Does it make them, well, weird? Is work experience beneficial or just slave labour? We'll find out why businesses in Kings Langley are keen to offer young people unpaid work. And I'm asking, do you feel bullied into wearing a poppy? Did you hear the show a week or so ago when we had um, the Colonel in? Remember the Colonel? One of the most awkward bits of radio I've ever been involved in. He's back today. Uh, <laughs> and my big toe is really hurting. I, I mentioned on, on Twitter last night, my t- I was like, oh, my toe's hurting, my toe's hurting. Instantly, fired back, he- spearheaded by Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Gout. You've got gout. I, I don't drink port. I don't eat that much Stilton. Have I got gout? Is there a doctor in the house? BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots of ways to get in touch. Uh, of course, you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333. Uh, or, or the best way to get in touch, particularly at this time when all of the lines are free, uh, is to give us a call. 08459 455 555. Now, I find this next one fascinating. This has always struck me as a little bit odd, really. BBC Three Counties has found that at least, <clears throat> excuse me, a thousand children... 1,000 children are being taught at home in beds, hearts and bucks, and that figure is rising. And it's thought that number could be much higher, because parents only have to tell their local council that they're home educating if they're withdrawing their child from school. Dr Tony Sewell is an education commentator and CEO of the charity Generating Genius, which helps children from underprivileged backgrounds get into university. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. What do you think about homeschooling? Well, I think that... um for some people it might work, but for the majority it, it, it's, a non, it's a non-goer, and i tell you why. I think that the issue may well be that um, parents feel that they want to homeschool. I mean, I've come across it because either they're frightened that their child will be bullied, mm. or on another level, um, there's the, 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 the sort of a protection thing going on, and, and, and they, or they haven't got their child into the school that they want to but um in 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 your area in 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 in, in those counties I, i'm surprised because the schools are quite good mm. in those areas so um i would have thought that it would be something more to do with this protective thing around bullying and i don't think it's a good idea it could be argued couldn't it tony that that um, it could be better for the child because it, you're in a class. There are thirty other kids in there. You're not going to get the full attention at home. You're getting the one-on-one focused attention. That could be beneficial, couldn't it? All right. In my experience, the parents who have been able to do this the best uh, are, are, are parents who are, who are well equipped, well resourced. Um, they, they they do it as a mission. They kind of enjoy that process, and they've got the time and the energy. I don't know, to be honest, in, real, in reality, how many of us have got that time and energy to sit back 
and be able to do that. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a rare parent that can do that. Although it's increasing, but it's a rare resource. Um, the, on, on the positive level, I do think, though, that there are students who are extremely bright and extremely talented, and they may well find that the schooling process actually is very frustrating mm. because, you know, they can't really, um, you know, they're not pushed, they're not stretched, they're not challenged enough. And, 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 and they may indeed feel bullied as well because of that. And I think that maybe being ho- homeschooled might help. But the reality is, as you know, in your newsroom and in, in, in the world of work generally, you're going to have to have a skill of getting on with other people. Mm. The way the world of work works is in teams. It, it's very rare that you're going to be able to, in, in the real world, just sit at home and work on your own. There are not many, very jobs like that. And I think that um, it's, it's sad, really, because I think you do need that social skill of being able to deal with other people, uh, however bad it might be. I guess on an academic level, it could cause problems as well later in life in terms of GCSEs and A-levels and, and university, because you're not necessarily getting the education that's geared towards you going to those places, are you? That's what I'm saying. I think I've come across, personally, parents who have pursued this, thinking, well, look, it's not good enough for my child. And actually, in my, in, my own, in my own project as well, I've had to almost insist that the parent put the child into mainstream school because the children are, are clearly um, uh, are behind. So it, it's a mixed bag, but I, I do think overall that, uh, in, you know, that the, the, the parents may be on a mission here, and, and, and it, it's really one that is not really going to be good for the child. I think overall, children are best placed in a, in a schooling context, in a socialising context i don't mind if kids take a year out and maybe be homeschooled for a year or whatever if if the parent knows what they're doing but uh overall we we you know children need to be up keeping up to breast with with what's going on schooling is 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 a systematic process you have to keep up every year especially in primary school um being prepared for secondary tony does homeschooling make you weird I think that a lot of people. <laughs> say that a lot of people, no, I don't. I've come across people who have been homeschooled a little bit, and they're okay. But overall, the social, the ability to get on with other people, to get have a partner, whatever. I think this happens in a socialising context, and I think that you're likely to be less able. Let's put it. Let's be political correct, correct here. Um, Lo- socially less able <laughs> as opposed to weird. Dr. Tony Seal, thank you very much indeed. He's an education commentator and CEO of the charity Generating Genius. Well, what do you think? What a, and what a delightful giggle Tony had there. Thank you for that. What do you think? Homeschooling, does it make you weird? We don't need political correctness on this show, no. Does it make you weird? Because you're at home with your mum. Your mum teaching you... If you do homeschool your kids, or you were homeschooled, or you're a teacher and you think it's a ridiculous idea, 08459 455 555. Now listen, we all love a bit of the Mavericks, of course we do. You'd be insane not to love that Spanish gypsy flamenco style pop. But that song runs at 4 minutes 20. No record should be, no record should be longer than 3.30. I'll give you 3.40 at a push. Anything beyond that is just, you're entering Hey Jude Bohemian Rhapsody territory. Decadent and indulgent. Just like the sunny morning light. 08459 455 555. If you homeschool your kids, they're weird. Are they? Being homeschooled makes you weird. 
and completely incapable of dealing with the real world. I've always thought it was a strange thing to do. Send them to school, have some peace and quiet, watch Jeremy Kyle. I mean, listen to JVS, sorry. Uh, now, a planning application to expand the operations at a Hertfordshire quarry is being met with opposition by residents. Those fighting the plans for Codicock Quarry say it will lead to increased lorry traffic through the village as well as increasing noise and pollution. Here's what some residents had to say uh, when Justin met them yesterday. It's very difficult. I go down, I travel down this road in the morning to go to work. I work part-time and quite often there's huge lorries careering up and down. That's a danger in itself. There's a school um, in in the in the road and the lorries they they make great big holes in the road too so that's another danger mm. and we're a bit concerned about the dust that's going to come from all this expansion of the quarries it's not healthy for us to breathe that in so any type of expansion and we're talking any type any here type, no. it is absolutely it's outrageous as far as you're concerned the way it is at the moment you know we don't need expansion no totally against it do you think the powers that be at the quarry care about you at all no they don't care they don't care it's all about making money isn't it it's the business no they won't care Mary, you live in a beautiful house. It's a grade two farmhouse. You're a matter of uh, a few hundred yards away from the quarry. What happens here when these lorries go past your house? Well, the amount of dust created, the noise, the buildings shake, and often they come up onto the pavement to get past parked cars. Um, When the children are coming to school in the morning along this pavement in front of my house, they're in grave danger from these lorries because they do, as I say, have to come up on the pavement sometimes to get past. We get dust in the house, layers of dust, which isn't good for health. I've got asthma and it doesn't do me any good at all. Um, But they also go at a great speed down here, a lot of them as well. And there have been large numbers of them, one after the other, going down this narrow road. Mm. This is a village. These roads were not built for lorries. um, And they're not doing the houses, the people or the roads any good at all. The fact that they're going to increase it to this extent is going to make the village a terrible place to live in. Well, this morning, our quarry correspondent, Justin Dilley, was back in Codicott. He'll be meeting David Connell from the Codicott Quarry Action Group and hear what he has to say before seven. Uh, I need a doctor to call in. I'm worried about my toe. I'm seriously... Don't laugh. I'm seriously worried about my big toe. I hope it's not gout. I don't think it is gout. You have to amputate if it's gout, don't you? Oh, God. My toe hurts. Right, I've done nothing to it. Let's discuss it after this, please. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455. 555 is the phone number. Kids that are homeschooled, are they a little bit weird? Be honest, because they don't have that social interaction of being in the school and, and dealing with all the politics. And yes, school can be a horrible place, of course it can be. But it, it's where you learn to deal with other people and interact. And if you are denied that... You're a bit weird, aren't you? I can't think of any other way to say it. 08459 455 555. Now, your son or daughter might be finding it difficult to get work. Well, businesses in a Hertfordshire village have come together to offer work experience with a difference. Teenagers try out a number of jobs with different companies rather than just one. 
Recent, recent statistics showing that one in five youngsters are currently out of work in Hertfordshire. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria has been to meet 18-year-old Christina, who started her work experience at the Delicatessen in Kings Langley. I don't think that staying in education was really for me, so I kind of wanted to get more experience in actually working, and I think apprenticeships like the best thing to go for. And this is your first week? Yeah, I just started on Monday and Tuesday. So what have you done so far? Um, mainly just worked in the cafe, serving people and kind of learning how to deal with customers. So I've never worked in a cafe before, only a shoe shop. I had no idea about, like, coffee <laughs> at all. So, and, like, cleaning and how important it is, especially in cafes. So, so it's life experience, let alone, yeah. <laughs> let alone just coffee shop experience. I'm Jeff Falkins, and together with my wife Claire, we have a delicatessen and wine shop in Kings Langley. In general, they come in for two weeks and get about two days in each of five different businesses. So regular participants are people like the butcher. Uh, there's a fantastic mechanics shop here. They rebuild old vintage cars. Uh, the, funeral the Undertaker record. have been really great, yeah, haven't the, they? Because yeah. that's one that they're always terrified to go to, and that's the one they always enjoy. Well, joining us now is someone from that uh, funeral directors. It's Jan Stevens from, from AC Tabman's Funeral Directors in Kings Landing. Good morning, Jan. Oh, good morning, Ian. You are involved with the work experience. It's not the most common of work experience placements, is it, of funeral directors? Is, has it been... Is it popular? It certainly seems to be. Uh, much to our surprise, we were nervously thinking nobody would want to come and visit us. Uh, but we've had quite a few work experience people through our hands now. What, what do they get to do, the work experience? Well, we have to be particularly careful. We have to be sensitive to the needs of our grieving families, obviously. Of course. Um... We can't mix in, uh, basically, kids who've just left school with families who need our professional care and our professional help. So we've got to place these people somewhere where they can feel as though they're learning and where they can observe the whole process that we go through. So we do try and involve our visitors on going to a funeral service right. so that they can experience everything that happens on the day. Obviously, we get them involved in as much of the organising as we can do up front. Anything really to help them understand the pressure that our grieving families are under and how we can help as funeral directors. Well, it's a, of course, it's a very emotional thing. Jan, I'm going to ask a question. I don't mean to sound insensitive, but when I saw that we were speaking to you, I, this genuinely interested me. Do they get to touch a dead person? No. They don't no, get they to do that? Okay, no. so they're, they're removed from that situation. Yes, they are, yes. Uh, and are any of them a little bit... Because it is a little bit morbid. Of course, it's something we're all going to need at, at some point in our lives, probably several times. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, do they display a kind of reluctance when they come in or a little bit, oh, this is going to be weird, or, or are they a bit more open-minded about the whole thing? Reluctance, no, because all of these people on our high street project have a choice of which kind of businesses they'd like to go visit. Right. So they, they choose to come to us as they choose to go to the other, the other businesses. Mm. Nervous, I would say, when they come in on day one because they're not quite sure what to expect. So we spend quite a bit of time reassuring them that, you know, this is the kind of thing we'll be expecting them to do and take part in. And how old are uh, they, Jan, the, pe- the, the people you've got coming in to help you? Late teens, early 20s, generally. Right. Christina's coming to see us next week. She's got a couple of days with us, I understand. Um, 18 to 22, in that age range, really. So it's quite likely, although not definite, of course, it's quite likely they, they, they've possibly never even been to a funeral before. It's more, more than likely they never have. And how One do they react it, afterwards? Well, they're reassured, actually. It's right. a useful life experience to be able to go through a funeral service and planning yeah. without having the emotional attachment because they don't know the family involved. And, yeah. and that is, is helping these people to understand 
that they'll probably have to do it at some stage in their lives, but it gives them a big layer of understanding. It's useful. Back to the work experience project yeah. itself. Are you likely to offer these young, any of these young people permanent positions at all? If we come across the right person, yes, we will. I mean, the whole high street is saying the same kind of thing. If mm. we get someone really interested and they follow it up by, by visits after the work experience then yes, we would be interested in looking at that kind of applicant, certainly. There are some people, Jan, out there who might say, oh, work experience, they're getting passed around all these different businesses, you're, you're exploiting these young people. How would you respond to that? I wouldn't agree with that at all. And I noticed earlier you were using the phrase slave labour about these visits as well. Um, and that was where this whole project on our high street started. Um, adverse press publicity yeah. about um, big food chains using work experience as cheap labour. No, we view this quite differently. We view this as a way to help these youngsters understand what it's like in the real world. We give them some real-life experiences. We do it as carefully as we can do. But even our input on these people is as much as what do you wear when you go to work? How do you shake hands with someone? Do you have a conversation and hold eye contact? You know, lots of these background pieces about professional behaviour that they pick up in school. They don't know how to shake hands with people. Yeah. They don't know how to do it. Often not. Really? I suppose it's a surprise. Really? Well, there you go. That is a... how many of us on the high street have covered that ground. How interesting. Well, let's do that again. Let's let's start. Go back to the door. Come in. Start again. Now yeah. smile and how shake our hands. And it, and it's all little layers of confidence like yeah. that that we're finding are so useful for them. How interesting. Someone from the government has been to visit Kings Langley, haven't they, and taken an interest yes. in the whole project? What yes. what, what, what have they said? Um, he was really interested. He was a representative from the Deputy Prime Minister's office. He was very interested in how this got off the ground, um, how we all, uh, work with the, uh, placing these kids in different work experience, um, and just the whole process of it all, really. And so this could, this could be spread across the country, then? Well, we're keeping our fingers crossed. Well, fantastic. I mean, we, we can prove in Kings Langley it's got some value, so... Jan, listen, thank you very much indeed. Jan Stevens from uh, AC Tadman's Funeral Directors. I I've spoken to funeral directors before. I find it a fascinating profession because it's something we're all going to have to be involved with at some point, probably more than once in our lives. I don't know anything about funeral directors. I've never been inside one. I don't know what goes on in there. It's something we all need to know about. Well, listen, I want to hear what your thoughts d d Work experience. Have you done work experience? What did you think of it? Was it a, a valuable, beneficial experience? Or was it, we heard the phrase there, was it slave labour? Did you feel you were being exploited? At lunch, England's cricketers are 521 for nine on day two of their final warm-up match with Haryana in Ahmedabad. And Olympic heptathlon champion... Ahmedabad. 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 I, I could see it looming over the horizon. Yep. Anyway, shh. One more time. Al Ahmedabad. Thank you. Olympic heptathlon champion... Heptathlon. <laughs> Jessica Ennis has won the Sunday Times Sportswoman of the Year Award. Ennis set three personal bests and the British record on her way to gold in London. That's your news in sport. Badly pronounced. I'll be back in half an hour. Oh, go and have another drink. <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half an hour, do you feel bullied into wearing a poppy? There's... There's a lot of pressure on there, isn't it? It's, it's one of the few charities that if you decide to opt out of, people frown on you. Do you remember the Colonel that was in last week, maybe the week before? It was one of the most awkward bits of radio I've ever been involved in in my life. Left me fuming at the end. 
He's back on today. Yeah, so do stick around. <laughs> and it was my idea to get him back. And also why people living in Codicot are worried about an increase in noise and pollution in their village. 81333. Start your text 3CR or give us a call 08459 455555. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Do you feel guilty if you don't wear a poppy? An author has accused the Royal British Legion poppy appeal of straying away from its roots. Ted Harrison says it's heading towards commercialisation and appealing to B-list celebrities. He'll be joining us later on in the show. Well, our reporter, Gavin Lee, is embedded with 40 Commando in Lashkargah in Afghanistan. He joins us live from there now. Good morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. Can I ask, is it hot in Afghanistan? Is that a silly question? Uh, well, my, no, my face is like a Belisha beacon uh, today. We're four and a half hours ahead, so, you know, we've, we've got intense uh, heat, middle wow. of the day, cloudless sky, dusty conditions. And um, The one benefit is to the, in Lashkagar, where I'm talking to you from at the moment, which is the sort of the, the British base, and they've, it's already transitioned, so it's already in the hands of the Afghans, uh, this area. The, the provincial capital is Lashkagar. I mean, it's actually a soldier's place in Persian. And it's pretty safe, so I'm not with flak jacket today, so my arms will get burnt too, but I've been to some pretty interesting areas with flak jacket in Nari Siraj and uh, you know, that, yeah that's certainly uh, incredibly hot that the, the wow. soldiers the conditions the marines and the soldiers have to deal with you've been uh, speaking to the troops out there specifically about poppies uh, Gavin how do they feel about people wearing poppies at home it's interesting that um, you know, any uh, this is across the board, and I've been speaking uh, since yesterday actually to some Marines from Forty Commando. I spoke to I've just been speaking to an officer in One Lanks from Bedfordshire actually, who was talking about how they believe that the more people can wear, whether it's a jewellery, some one of the female officers I spoke to had a brooch actually, a poppy brooch, and whether it's an umbrella, whatever it is, it's bet it, it, it's fine. They actually prefer people to, to wear the poppy in some shape or form because. Because it's going to the British Legion. So providing they're buying it from the British Legion, the money's going to charity. Uh, in fact, one of the um, soldiers said to me, times have moved on. You know, the days where you have this poppy that very easily will, will crush up and break mm. or fall off, you know, it's nice that there is something else. And I, as I look around me, you know, walking around this base, and even the, some of the smallest patrol bases, one out in the middle of the desert, the dash they call it, uh, in you know, intense conditions, very austere environment, about a 200 or so living together, the Taliban 100 or so um, metres away in some cases, is that you see the poppy and you know, I see it all around me on, on troops here so it's something that they you know, obviously care deeply about and one said to me you know, if we, if we see an officer here if we see a soldier or marine here and they're not wearing it we sort of look and think where's your poppy? That's interesting isn't it? There's a, a little frown if someone's not wearing one uh, out there. Uh, British troops due to leave Afghanistan in 2014 how do they feel about leaving? It's interesting, and the views vary massively. Uh, you know, in terms of the, the way they feel about the job they've done, um, I think, and what I've experienced, this is... You know, let's face it, the goal that was originally set out to eradicate the Taliban, to eradicate the, the insurgency al-Qaeda, that's not going to be achieved in two years' time. I think there is an acknowledgement that they're still having problems. I was out at a patrol base two days ago. It's an incredible sight, actually, you know. Uh, it was patrol base Clifton, in the middle of Nari Siraj, this place that's now become synonymous with these green on blue attacks, Afghan forces killing British um, soldiers, rogue, rogue, rogue forces. And, you know, they were, were talking about how there are still insurgents. The, the, one, the satellite balloon had been attacked a few days earlier, but it's like dealing with ghosts 
shifts for them, that the Taliban might attack by night, then they're gone in the day. There are areas now we pass through on road patrols, foot patrols, women and children are out, markets are, you know, flourishing to a certain degree, bazaars from, you know, the microcosm of what I saw. And I went to one police base, uh, an old Genghis Khan fort. It was in, I've never seen a view like it, in the middle of the desert, overlooking this beautiful valley and the Helmand River. And there are ten Marines living with about the same number of, of Afghan police. And, you know, they said these guys are, are going to be ultimately responsible. And what I saw, they were doing a job. Uh, fast forward two years' time, I think it's, you know, it, that w- that's when time will tell. There's, there's so much corruption in Afghanistan. There was another bomb blast yesterday, killed 20, uh, two separate bomb incidents. So, you know, you know the, the threat of sti- civil war in Afghanistan still there. Gavin Lee, uh, be safe out there, for goodness sakes, man. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Well, do you feel bullied into wearing a poppy? If, you, if you've made the decision not to wear a poppy this year, could you give me a call and let me know? 08459 455 555. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, 08459 455 555. Lots on the go this morning that you might want to have a say about work experience. What are your work experience experiences, I guess, uh, is the phrase. Have you done it? I did it when I was at school. Thought it was great. Did a couple of weeks, um, or maybe just a week's unpaid work at Windsor Theatre. And had a fantastic time. It was great. Taught me how to make a cup of tea, taught me how to paint a bit of scenery, taught me how to interact with people. I thought it was superb. But there are some people that would say, actually, it's a little bit exploitative. You know, you're you're getting a few weeks free work from some kids and then you're you're leaving them in the lurch. Your work experience experiences, good or bad, 08459 455 555. And poppies, do you feel bullied into into wearing them? There there, there is a phrase that we were toying with using, the the poppy fascists that, that, that frown on you if you don't wear them. In TV... There is a lot of pressure to wear a poppy. I know the BBC did. I don't know if they still do. I don't know if they did. Someone told me they're not doing it this year, but I, I don't know. Uh, but I know that th- in previous years, if you were on BBC television, they would insist you wore a poppy. They would insist. Whether you work there or you're a freelancer or what, or a guest, they would insist. I was on Sky News uh, uh, last week, and there was a little bit of argy-bargy about me wearing a poppy. And the fact that they said, oh, you have to wear a poppy, made me go, oh, do you know what? I don't think I'm going to tonight. Now that you've said I have to, I'm going to... And also, <clears throat> you're giving me the poppy to wear. I'm not paying for it. 08459 455... <clears throat> excuse me, 555. Do you feel under pressure to wear a poppy? Now, this afternoon, very exciting, on BBC Three Counties Radio, Nick Coffer speaks to Queen guitarist Brian May, who's touring with former Wicked uh, performer and Hitchin girl Kerry Ellis. Have a listen to this. He's very shy, Freddie, really. So everything that goes with that, you know, I think he wove a kind of world around himself. And, of course, he was incredibly outgoing on stage, but that was his sort of stage persona. And um, I think he came from that perspective. He'd been very shy as a boy, and, and he'd been inspired by people like Cliff Richard, you know, and, and Jimi Hendrix. Who'd have thought Freddie Mercury would have been spl- inspired by someone like Cliff Richard? It's a cracking interview. Brian May is always a good listener. Yeah, I've, he, he's played the gu- guitar solo to Bohemian Rhapsody to me in his garage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I've stood next to him. I said, what does that, what does that button do on your guitar? Brian, he went, oh, yeah, that uh, makes the Bohemian Rhapsody sound. And then he started playing it. Yeah. Uh, you can hear that interview uh, from midday today with Nick Coffer in sport. Here we go. <clears throat> get, run up for these names. Liverpool's hopes of qualifying for the knockout stages remain in the balance after losing 1-0 in Russia to Gus Hiddink's Anzi Makachakala. <laughs> I literally just made that last word up. Coming up. Coming up. 
Apologies to Catherine. I have no, no reason to criticise her now. Well, I've got a few. Coming up, a planning application to expand the operations at a Hertfordshire quarry has been with opposition, uh, has been met with opposition by local residents. Before seven, we'll hear from David Connell from the Codicott Quarry Action Group. Now let's get the weather. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. I forgot the weather was coming then, Elizabeth, so I hit the jingle a little bit too early, so just <laughs> you can breathe in and breathe out again. I'll do it properly. Now, oh, thank you, Ian. You're welcome. I don't want anyone to be caught unawares here. Now, at 6.46-ish, are you ready? Yes. OK, here's the weather with Elizabeth okay. Rosini. Away you go. OK, all right. And, all right. Whoa, right. hey, no, whoa, no, no, hang on. No, I, I, I set you up perfectly. <laughs> I set you up perfectly and you stumbled there. What was that about? <laughs> no stumbling, no stumbling. Okay. All right, here we go. Here's, he, the weather. He, here's the weather with Elizabeth Rosini. And off we go. So it's um, it's a bit of a tricky day today. Temperatures down to around seven degrees Celsius. I've run out of music. Oh my god! Would you like me to carry on? Yeah, go on, go on. Why not? It's my All fault right, you ran I'll, out of I'll music. I'll put you in a nutshell anyway. And another cold night on Sunday. To start the working week, we're going to see a frost. There we go. <laughs> Expertly done, Elizabeth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'll try and do it to time. No, next I will time. not talk so much next time. I do apologise. Here we go. A planning application to expand the operations at a Hertfordshire quarry has been met with opposition by local residents. Those fighting the plan say it will lead to increased lorry traffic through the village, as well as increasing noise and pollution. Uh, we have joined now by David O'Connell from the Codicott Quarry Action Group. Good morning, David. Good morning to you. Can I ask, why are you unhappy about the quarry? Two or three reasons, really. We live in a quiet village... The quarry, which was originally a, a basic agricultural uh, movement, it produced chalk twice a year, has suddenly become a semi-industrialised site. And frankly, our roads are just not up for it. OK, I've never said that. We, we did speak to the company. They didn't want to join us live uh, on the programme this morning. However, jo- Justin Dealey spoke to Nick Brownwell. He's a director <coughs> of the Anstey Quarry Company yesterday. Have a listen, David. We'll get your thoughts on what he had to say after this. Well, Nick, we're currently standing on St Albans Road, just outside the main entrance to the quarry. You currently recycle concrete 28 days a year. You want to extend that to around 300. Tell us why, first of all. Well, at present, um, we, we're a soil screening plant, but with soil screening, it can't be done all year round. We're just looking at a bit of um, flexibility on our licence, so we can, when we can't screen soil, we can crush concrete. It won't, won't, won't actually happen 300 days a year. It probably will only be for a few months in the winter. But it just gives us the flexibility of all year round being able to use our business to the maximum capacity. I mean, people in the village are absolutely furious about this. You would say to them, in actual fact, the traffic up and down this road going through the village, if you are expanding, will amazingly decrease. Is that right? We don't envisage there being any more lorry numbers on the road than there currently is. It's just that we've been asked to put a figure on there, which we have to do for licensing purposes. How does that work, though? If you're looking to increase it from 28 days a year up to 300 days a year, here comes a lorry right now... How would traffic decrease? I mean, I wasn't very good at maths at school, but, but I'm not quite getting this. Well, the lorries, um, we will still do, do the same amount of work in the quarry, but we'll be more flexible with what we can do. Our lorries will not be able to do any more work as they currently do in a day now. You're not just saying that now, and then when you do get the application, that'll change. You're saying, this is fact, that there won't be an increase in traffic. There won't be an increase in work, because 
we have stockpiles of materials in there which we can sell all year round. Some of the locals say that you're damaging the roads here with your lorries. How would you respond to that? The, the, lo- the road has been resurfaced just recently and we've resurfaced our gateway. But that is the first time in about 30 years since the licence in 1979 has been done. A few other points to put to you. I spoke to someone in the village a moment ago who said that you've got absolutely no regard whatsoever for the locals. It's just all about the cash. Is that true? Um, very no, it's not. It, that's, we we went to the um, parish council before we put this application in to talk to them and to talk to the Cody Cook Road Group to have a discussion about what we wanted to do. If they if they believe that lorry traffic is going up, then they they there is they have the right to. But we have tried talking to them. David, there you heard you heard it. it. The lorry traffic won't go up. Well, that, that's complete nonsense. We met the people unofficially about three weeks ago before their application went in. And the application, as I understand it, was for 20 movements in and 20 movements out per day. We actually questioned Mr. Bramwell, and he admitted that it could be over 80 a day. So how disingenuous is that? The, um, the next thing is that the, what they're trying to do, the acti- activity of crushing concrete, is not anywhere in any of their permits. They were originally there for soil screening and, well, primarily chalk extraction, but recognising that that's probably only a twice-a-year occupation. They did soil screening. The soil screening then produced various arisings, various stones and stuff, and they were allowed to bring in a crusher for 28 days a year to work out those arisings and turn them into type 1, which is fine. But it's now become a major activity, bringing in concrete. There's nowhere in any of their permits that give them permission to have a permit to crush concrete. David, we've got 30 seconds. Where do you go from here? What happens next? Well, we're going to make sure that everybody in the village has written to all the interested parties, uh, make sure our feelings are felt, and the views will be taken when they have the planning meeting. Thank you very much indeed, David Connold there uh, from the Codicott Quarry Action Group, 08459 455 555. It's Arthur Walwyn. Who the hell is Mark Walwyn? That was the, the, the singer from the... Uh, the I, uh, for some reason, I called him Mark Walwyn earlier on from the BBC, BBC Introducing Track. I can only apologise, Arthur. Please, please, don't send your posse round to, um, to tag me or something. I don't know. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Do you feel bullied or pressured into wearing a poppy? Do you feel a bit guilty if you don't wear a poppy? Is it right if you decide to opt out of a charity that you can feel a little bit rotten? Ah, good morning. It's seven o'clock. I I feel I can kind of breathe a little bit. Now, settling into the show with only two hours to go. Two hours of the week, and then it's the weekend. Wonderful. Saying that, I'm having lunch with Jonathan Vernon-Smith and the boss. One of us is going. (laughs) I hope it's not me. Uh, Lots on this morning that I'd like to get your opinion on, if you don't mind, including BBC Three Counties finds the number of children being homeschooled is rising. Kids who are taught at home instead of school. Are they a bit weird? Does it make you weird? It's always made me feel a little bit uncomfortable to think that there are kids who are being taught at home instead of school. If you do it, I'd love to hear from you. If you homeschool your kids, or you've been homeschooled, could you give me a call? 08459 455 555. Also, do you feel pressured into wearing a poppy? 
An author has accused the Royal British Legion poppy appeal of straying away from its roots and is work experience just cheap labour? We'll be finding out what one Hertfordshire village is doing to improve young people's jobs prospects. 81333, start your text 3CR. Go to the Facebook page. Pictures of me in another new shirt. I know! Another new shirt! Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can go up there and have your comments about the show as well. Even rude ones. I don't mind. I don't mind. Or the best way to get in touch is to give me a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, BBC Three Counties Radio has discovered that at least a 1,000 children are being homeschooled in the beds, hearts and bucks, and it seems that that number is on the increase. Parents only have to tell their local council that they're teaching at home if they're withdrawing their child from school. So that number could be much higher to include kids who've never been to school. Imagine that! Each week, 15 homeschool children go to what's called a forest school in Milton Keynes to learn outdoor skills. Our reporter Jessica Cooper went along to find out more. Hello, I'm James and I'm 11. Hello, my name's Hannah and I'm 8. We've got some rope here and we're going to tie it around the tree. So we're going to connect it with the shelter. Mm-hmm. And we're going to loop it around the tree, get some wooden pegs that we've made and peg it in and we've got our shelter. So this is the kind of thing that you learn when you come to forest school, how to make shelters. What else do you do here? Um, We learn how to use all the equipment safely. We know how to cut down a small tree, which is very useful. It's very good and we learn lots of new things. It's very adventurous. Every day we can try something new. You all go to school at home, don't you? You don't go to school in school. What's that like? It's absolutely brilliant. It gives you a lot more free time and you can get more work done in an hour than anyone can do in a whole day at school because one teacher has to focus on so many students learning the exact same thing, whereas at home you can just sit down learn things. I mean, you could do one morning and you could take the next day off. Do you ever feel like you you miss going to school or you would like to go to school to see other children? Not really. I've been to school before and I didn't really like it, so... I went to my lower school and then I went up to middle school for about three months and I didn't like it. Hi, I'm Nikki Saunders. I'm the Education Coordinator for the Parks Trust and today you find me in my capacity as Forest School Leader. At the moment we're working with um, a group of home-educated kids called Free Range Education. Do you notice a difference between children who do learn at home in comparison to the children that you work with that are from mainstream schools? Definitely, yeah. Um, It's because they're taught in a completely different way. But ultimately, the goal is the same, is getting them to to develop as a person. Sarah, you have two children who are here at the forest school today and they're usually educated at home. So why have you made that decision then? They didn't like preschool it wasn't a way that they liked learning and they've been so much happier and more confident for not being forced into doing something that they didn't want to do so Heidi how old are your children and and what made you decide to educate them at home uh they're nine and seven but I joined education otherwise I read everything in the library I started meeting up with home educating families um and by the time Jake was school age I I couldn't think of a single reason to send him to school. I have not regretted it for a moment. It's been brilliant. Some people argue that by being at home with maybe their parent and a sibling that they're missing out on that inclusion of 
the playground. Yeah, we're in the middle of a forest with 20, you know, 15 children. They are being socialised as we speak. You know, they're having those opportunities to fight and fall out and make up and, and be friends and, and have run the gamut of what relationships are. And uh, there is no loss of socialisation through home educating. So did one of those, did one of those mums say that their kids didn't like preschool so they decided to homeschool them uh, really there are lots of things that kids don't like doing it's tough that's, that's called life isn't it surely my boy didn't like having fireman sam stopped yesterday didn't we had to go to the hospital he didn't like fireman sam being stopped so what we'll just let him watch fireman sam all day shall we Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call uh, about that, that does I, that's right. Oh, they didn't like going to preschool, so I decided not to uh, not to send them there. Hang on a second. What what happens when they don't like going to university, or they don't like going to work? What do you do then? Ophelia's in Luton. Good morning, Ophelia. Hi, Ian. How are you this morning? I'm a little bit angry. <laughs> I'm a little bit angry. The, the kids really didn't like the kids didn't like preschool, so we took them out. It's <laughs> tough. I, I do question the the benefits of um, homeschooling. There's a number of things that um, I feel that it um, doesn't address, and the main thing is about the development of a child in terms of emotional, psychological, behavioural, and also. Um, um, that negotiating that needs to take place in the playground, which is a reality that you need in, for skills in later life. You're not going to get that. They, I heard someone mention about um, that they socialise with 15 other children. That's 15 selected other children. Yep. What do they learn about other people's cultures, other people's You want to mix life? with different colours, different races, different yeah. religions, different social backgrounds. You want all of those exactly, things. Exactly, because that's what reflects the real world out there, the real workplace. And then I feel there's great implications for long-term um, relationships, who they can mix with, who they can work with. And, and that causes a sense of isolation because that, what you're saying about your son didn't like um, ending Fireman Sam or, or a programme, the children are challenged to understand there's rules and boundaries yep. and you have to comply. And also, I'm concerned about, which um, was a discussion with a colleague the other day, the way that the, the level of standards for, to meet the curriculum expected for teachers teaching children within um, schools is not the same for, pre, um, for homeschool. You can just write to your educational department, I'm homeschooling. End of story. What are you going to do about it, girlfriend? And exactly, and you're checked once a year. Oh. And, and the thing is that those, I question those children's ability to fit within the workplace, to fit within society, to, to work with neighbours and, and so forth in life. Listen, and school isn't perfect. There, there are lots of things that are wrong with school. For example, Ophelia, this may be controversial, I would get rid of maths. I don't think you need maths. I would. No, I would. They're looking at me in the other room. What? No, I tell you, as long as you can add up and do a little bit of simple arithmetic, I'd get rid of it. You don't need it. I was Because there was a big thing in the papers yesterday about kids at the age of 10 are, are using calculators in school. Yeah. Right? Okay. Well, that's fine. We, we don't need maths. Okay? I would get rid of it. Okay. It's, it's pointless. It's as long as you can... your own feelings about no, maths. No, it's a fact. It's a fact, Ophelia. Okay. When, do you, when did you last use maths? I'm going to use it today. Why, what are you doing? I've got to um, add up my mileage and stuff like that. Okay, right, you can, add that, up. You can add that up, can't you? You've got a calculator on your, on your phone, so you've got to add up some mileage. You could do that with a bit of paper. That's all you need. When did you need to do algebra or long division, Ophelia? Okay. Let me say, if you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you need to have a bit of math. 
Why does, a, why does a nurse need to have a bit of maths? Medication, I remember when I worked alongside medical staff. Yeah. The measuring of medication, Oh, the for goodness sake, 15 millilitres, it's written on the side of the thing. <laughs> it's a bit more than that. What about pharmacists who are making up well, that? Pharmacists, actual... pharmacists can do... I'm not saying a ban, make it illegal. I'm saying that, that maths, if you're going to be a pharmacist... Yeah. ...or an architect, well, then, then, okay, fine, you can go and learn maths, but they should, it shouldn't be compulsory. So, therefore, I'm going to argue and say that we should understand all our MPs who misunderstand, like, um, Margaret Moran, who miscalculated... Well, 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 hang on a second. That's, <laughs> a, that's, that's an ongoing court case, so we can't talk about that. We don't... We'll, let's wait to the verdict before we start no, throwing mud around there. No, 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 no. It's an ongoing court case, so let's... We'll, we won't talk about that. But, in general, no, those, the MPs that have gone to prison for doing that were very naughty, because they didn't do the basic maths, right? But they didn't get the maths right because they didn't understand maths. They had and they have maths like lessons! You. They have maths lessons! So we might as well just give us a waste of time, Ophelia! <laughs> Get, honestly, we don't need anything more than basic maths in okay. school. It's pointless. All right, then, Ian, I'm going to say to you that I feel that there is uh, a psychology behind every single lesson that a child is told is mandatory because it, it, it engages different parts of the brain. It causes different parts of the, gra- the brain to grow. Okay. And it causes you... That sort of learning causes you to apply it to other things in later life. Ophelia, Ophelia. Yeah? Can, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What are you doing this weekend? Do you know I'm having to work? You're not going to believe it. Go on. I'm working. Good. But it's on written work, so, yeah. <laughs> it's good. not maths at all. Good. I must admit, I'm not good at maths. There we go, you see. It's pointless. Ophelia, thank you very much. You don't need maths. Beyond basic maths, you don't need it. Get rid of it. But back to the homeschooling, for that is indeed what we're talking about uh, this morning. Does it make kids a little bit weird? I'd love to speak to you if you homeschool your kids, or if you were homeschooled and you came out of it and thought, do you know what? I don't really fit into society as much as I, uh, perhaps I should. 08459 555555. Does homeschooling make you a little bit weird? Now, guess who's coming back on the show later on? Yeah, <laughs> Colonel John Hamilton. You don't remember the name? Okay, well, let me remind you. He came in the other week. He was upset about his parking situation in Luton when he was selling poppies. It, they'd taken away his free parking space. It turned out to be... I've been doing radio for years and years and years. It was one of the most awkward moments of radio in my life. Have a listen. I'm upset about not being given free parking and the security that goes with it. It's a two-part thing. Why can't you pay for the parking? Me personally? Of course I can. Tell me why I should. You tell me why you shouldn't. No, you tell me why I should. Because everybody has to pay for parking and all the other charity collectors pay for the parking. Now you tell me why you shouldn't. I shouldn't because the Royal British Legion should be supported by them all. The Royal British Legion Mm -hmm. should not be giving money to them all to sell poppies. Right. It's the other way around. Awkward, huh? It got even more awkward than that. Well, he's agreed to come back on after 7.30, so do stick around. And I, uh, he's on because I promised in the office yesterday I would not cut him off. So I'm not allowed to use the cut-off button when he phones up at all. I've made that promise. It's going to be a cracking listen. Don't go anywhere. Do give us a call, 08459 455 555. Now, th- th- this is interesting. Your son or daughter, of course, may be finding it difficult to get work. Well, businesses in a Hertfordshire village have come together to offer work experience with a difference. Teenagers get to try out a number of jobs with different companies instead of just one. So they'll kind of move around between the different places. Recent statistics show that one in five youngsters are currently out of work in Hertfordshire. We sent our reporter, Sophie Solaria, to Kings Langley to meet Delhi owner Jeff Falkins, the man behind the idea. I'm Jeff Falkins, and together with my wife Claire, we have a delicatessen and wine shop in Kings Langley. 
Hello, Claire. And I'm Claire. <laughs> so how it works is they, in general, they come in for two weeks and get about two days in each of five different businesses. So regular participants are people like the butcher. Uh, there's a fantastic mechanics shop here. They rebuild old vintage cars. Uh, the, the Undertaker have been really great, yeah, haven't the, they? Yeah, the Because yeah. that's one that they're always terrified to go to, and that's the one they always enjoy. <laughs> And so each business along here is involved in this scheme? A lot of them, yeah. And, and some have different needs more than others. There's some who can regularly take people in. For some, it doesn't suit at all. If you've got a small boutique, you don't need somebody coming because there's not a lot going on. But they can tap into the scheme. So if, let's say, they had a project coming up of cleaning or organizing, they'd get a couple of days' help. But the, the candidate would also get a chance to experience what they do and learn about their business. If you look on the TV news and whatever and you hear about unemployed youngsters in particular, uh, they're not given a particularly good press. So I was quite surprised that the businesses actually wanted to be involved in the programme, really. I think it's one of those things that, that should grow as time goes on, really. And the more employers that are involved, um, the better it will be. And hopefully we'll get some good outcomes. This is Christina. She's uh, the, the latest candidate in our programme from the Job Centre. And so Christina joined us a couple of days ago. So, Christina, what got you into the King's Langley work experience scheme then? I just thought it would be a good idea experience different things that I probably would never think to at all. So, you didn't want to go to university. You knew you wanted to go straight to work. Yeah, I don't think that staying in education was really for me. So, I just kind of wanted to get more experience in actually working and I think apprenticeships like the best thing to go for. What's your long-term career goal? What do you want to do? Um, I'm quite unsure about that. <laughs> I was more interested in photography to begin with at the end of my A-levels but that's quite unstable. And this is your first week? Yeah, I just so, started on Monday and Tuesday. So what have you done so far? Um, mainly just worked in the cafe, serving people and kind of learning how to deal with customers. So I've never worked in a cafe before, only a shoe shop. I had no idea about, like, coffee <laughs> at all. So, and, like, cleaning and how important it is, especially in cafes. So, so it's life experience, let alone, yeah. <laughs> let alone just coffee shop experience. Christina, you're heading off to the estate agents now. Would I be able to catch up with you in a little while to see how you're getting on? Yeah, sure. Well, we'll find out later on how Christina got on at the travel agents later in the programme. But first, is work experience a good thing for the young and unemployed? Or in reality, is it just taking advantage in a way of getting cheap labour? Uh, Joanna Long is from Boycott Workfare, a UK, UK-wide campaign to enforce unpaid work for people who receive welfare. Good morning, Joanna. Morning. And we've also got Katie Hopkins, who's an entrepreneur and uh, former Apprentice contestant. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. Uh, Joanna, we'll start with you, uh, first of all. From what you've heard, what do you think of the work experience scheme that Kings Langley are running alongside the job centre? Well, it definitely doesn't sound like the worst example of workfare, but it's got to be seen in a wider context of the job centre's work experience scheme, which isn't the traditional concept of work experience at all. It's been rolled out on such a massive scale that it's actually starting to replace paid jobs and paid overtime so that it's actually reducing job opportunities for young people. So we're seeing... 100,000 placements a year through the job centre. Big comp- like, it, what's interesting about King's Landing is it's smaller businesses, which sounds a lot better, but actually what's happening more broadly is big companies like Argos are actually replacing their Christmas staff with these schemes. We heard from someone recently who was told initially they'd be doing two weeks and then Argos upped it to six weeks. Well, of course they are because Christmas is coming up and they can get free labour instead of paying for work, and that's what really worries us is that these 
if there's work to be done, it should be paid. And unless it is, it's reducing opportunities for young people rather than helping them. Kate Hopkins, work experience is reducing opportunities and it should be paid. You know, it's an absolute nightmare to say something like that. And I think Boycott Workfare have got a lot to answer for. I think unless they're offering us an alternative solution, then they need to really rethink their uh, sort of argument really I think they uh, now just want people to bum off welfare so boycott workfare is actually just bum off welfare I think if young people are offered an opportunity and employers are prepared to invest in them in different ways in order to give them a start in life then that's a fantastic thing. You know, you may not pay someone a wage to work for you when they're a student, but you do invest in them in so many other ways. You have to help train them. You have to help them to understand the conventions and norms of commercial business operations. You have to explain to them, you know, the very basics about turning up on time, wearing the right outfit, the appropriate appearance that you want. So I think um, these schemes are absolutely fantastic. I applaud the young people that are grabbing those opportunities with both hands to accept them. And I, as an employer, think they're just a brilliant way of getting people experience and getting them into work. Joanna, you're encouraging people to bum off welfare and it's, you're, you're denying people the experience that this, these kind of projects give. Not at all. I mean, when I was a young person, I worked in a baker's, I worked in a shoe shop, I worked in a cafe, I worked in a gift shop, and I was paid for every single one of those opportunities to learn work experience. And that's what we should be aiming for for our young people. This is part of a general picture of reducing expectations and opportunities for the young. If people are doing low-skilled work in shops, that is something they should be paid for. Um, it's It's really good to hear that the young person you interviewed is benefiting from her placement and it does sound like it's structured to give people more general experience but that is not built into the way the government has set up these schemes. Its own research shows that it doesn't actually increase people's chances for employment because it actually dents the time they have available to them. Kate, there will be lots of people who say if you're doing some work then of course you should be paid for it. It's exploitative. I just think, you know, we've got, as you said, one in five of our young people are currently unemployed. So one in five of our young people have no way of entering the labour market whatsoever. So when we talk about how workfare is wrong and how not paying people is wrong, you know, what is the alternative? How are these young people then, this one in five, if that's your son or daughter, you know, wouldn't you be happier that they are working, that they are earning experience, that they are potentially earning themselves a role... Wouldn't you be happier for that than them sat at home getting welfare and really with having no path forward in life? As a mother, I want my children to be employed. And as a mother, if someone agreed to take them on, if they show that they are willing, capable, if they show that they can really demonstrate they are a commercial asset to that company, they could be given a job. You know, it's a fantastic way forward. And if it was me on workfare, I would be out there and I would be determined that at the end of that six-week period of uh, unpaid labour, I would be given a role. I would make that my priority and my problem. And it's not the government's problem to solve this. It's the young people's problem. And I think this scheme is fantastic. Katie, isn't there a difference, though, between... There's, there's, there's work experience and there's work experience, isn't there? That You can have work experience in the supermarket stacking shelves for three weeks, or you can have work experience in a hospital where you're, you're actually helping your... your you're, you're filling in forms, you're, fi- you're doing something more productive. So, do you not think that the, the stacking the shelves could be a little bit exploitative? Or do you still see that as a good opportunity? 
Look, I'm about to spend a day in a, in a law office working to help people become more productive. You know, fundamentally work, whatever it is, whether it's a lawyer, a solicitor, stacking shelves, whatever work is, there's some fundamentals involved. And those fundamentals are application to task, being able to graft, turning up on time, being committed to that company. You know, those are just fundamentals and they apply whether you're stacking a shelf or whether you're, you know, supervising a team of individuals. And if you get yourself into the workplace, surely you're acquiring those skills and surely your CV is going to look better when you've got six lots of six-week work experience than it does with absolutely nothing on it at all, apart from a couple of pretty lame GCSEs. But there possibly are some people who do exploit the gaps. We just had a message on our Facebook page from Javain. Work experience is an opportunity for employers without scruples to exploit the young. My son was paid less than £2.50 per hour for two years whilst he trained to be a hairdresser. He worked on the shop floor, styling like a fully qualified stylist. They refused to qualify him. Now that's a bit naughty, isn't it? Of course, there's always going to be examples that we can pull up that show that employers probably haven't committed in the way that they should. But I think in the main, if you're the type of person that's going to make this life work for you, if you're the sort of person that's going to say, look, this labour market is truly horrific at the moment, but I am going to be one of those people that does get a job. If you make it your prerogative, your problem, make it your determination that drives you forward, you will find employment and gainful employment at that. And I think any experience is better than no experience and clearly working on a shop floor is better than sitting on a sofa so come on get out there get working and support people that are offering this kind of work experience and stop allowing boycott workfare to have a voice joanna uh, times have changed haven't they and there aren't many jobs surely people need to do whatever they can to get a foot in the door don't they Yes, sadly, it is a really difficult situation at the moment, but when you talk about an alternative, there's a very clear alternative, and it's paying the young people for the work they do. Poundland is heavily involved in this scheme, and its profits have gone up 27% this year, so don't tell me that they can't afford to pay their staff and help people get paid work experience like we were able to when we were younger. Okay, listen, we'll have to end it there. Joanna Long from Boycott uh, Workfare, sorry, and Katie Hopkins, entrepreneur, and you possibly remember her from The Apprentice. Thank you very much. Fascinating. Well, in the next hour of the programme, We'll be speaking to delicatessen owner Jeff Falkins, who came up with the work placement idea in Kings Langley. And I do want to hear from you. Your experience with work experience, did, did you find it good, positive, helpful? Did you get a job at the end of it? Or did you think they were taking the mick a little bit? Two very opposing views there from Joanna uh, and Katie. Who's, who do you agree with? Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, do you feel bullies into wearing a poppy? An author has accused the Royal British Legion poppy appeal of straying away from its roots. Ted Harrison says it's heading towards commercialisation and appealing to B-list celebrities. We'll be speaking to him uh, next. Also, work experience. I want your work experience stories, please. 08459 455 555. And kids who are homeschooled. Are they a little bit weird? 81333, start your text 3CR, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Now, do you feel guilt- guilty if you don't wear a poppy? Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been out on the streets to find out what you think. Well, here's Elizabeth. You think that everyone should be wearing a poppy, don't you? Absolutely everybody. Yes, I do. I do. I think it's something that we should always remember. 
it should never be forgotten and I think the next generation also needs to be told um, and that includes my grandchildren as well. And you're wearing a poppy for a very special reason, tell us more about that. Uh, my ex-husband was actually in the forces, um, he was out in Ireland, he did the Falklands and he did the first Gulf War so it's quite close to my heart. Mm. Although we're not married anymore, um, you know, I saw what he was like when he came back. Some people say that they're almost put on a guilt trip to wear them, though. Do you think that's going a bit too far? Yes, I do. I do. I mean, certainly the old veterans that sell them, they certainly don't pressure anybody. Uh, and there's quite a few around the town, and I've certainly never felt pressured to buy one. Jennifer, somebody who is wearing a poppy this morning, should others be made to feel guilty if they're not wearing one? No. It's a matter of personal choice. But I think people should wear one because a lot of soldiers have died and they're very, very brave. And um, I come from a military family, and a lot of my family did die in the war. My grandfather was, he was never the same when he came back. And I think we should just remember them all. Okay, just lastly, what do you think is a fair price to pay for a pop? You know, this is quite a big debate, but what do you think is a fair price to pay for one? About 50 pence or a pound. I think it's worth it for a soldier, if not more, as much as you can afford. Well, Ray, you are wearing a poppy this morning, but Mm. often it drops off because you're busy at work. When it does drop off, do you feel guilty for not wearing one? I do, yeah. But when I buy one, I always buy two, actually, Mm. and I'll keep one indoors, and then I've always got one to replace it. Because the thing is, if you walk around without one, you've got uh, poppy sellers there, and they never believe you if you say, oh, I've got one indoors, I've got to put it on. Yeah. Yeah, I'd feel guilty. Do you think that people look at you in a different light if you're not wearing a poppy then? No, I don't think so. I don't know if people uh, even notice it, do they? I don't know. It's interesting what you're saying, though, because you're saying that, that you do feel guilty I, if you I don't do. wear one. Yeah, I do, because it's a very special thing, isn't it? So I always make sure I've got one. Now, madam, you're wearing your poppy this morning, like many people here, and you think people should be made to feel guilty for not wearing one? I wouldn't say guilty, but I think they should think about it. To be honest, yes. I mean, if you saw somebody not wearing one, would you automatically look at them in a different light, look down on them almost? I wouldn't look down on them, but I would think that they should think strongly about what happened and why we're wearing the poppy, to be honest, what went on. Yes. Poppy correspondent Justin Dealey out there on the streets. Well, Ted Harrison uh, is the author of Remembrance Today. He has accused the Royal British Legion Poppy Appeal of straying away from its roots and heading towards commercialisation and appealing to B-list celebrities. I'm also joined by Colonel John Hamilton. He sells poppies in Luton to raise money for the Royal British Legion, my former sparring partner. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Colonel. Uh, Now, Ted, we'll start with you. Why do people in the public eye feel they have to wear one of these poppies? There are some people, uh, I, I'm sorry to have to say, that I think wear them with ostentation. I think some of the politicians are guilty of that. Um, there are times uh, also perhaps when people in the entertainment business feel that they want to put one on and it's good for the image. Um, so there's, there's that side of it. And one of the things that worries me about that is that that could trivialise the wearing of the poppy uh, because it is such an important symbol and it's for such an important reason. Um, because of what it is, I think one has to be careful about not trivialising or sentimentalising um, or, in fact, um, thinking of the horrors of war, actually belittling the horrors of war through the way in which one does remember because sometimes you can get a bit over-sentimental in some of the remembering uh, of those who died and forget what it was really, really like. Colonel, some people are wearing them just so they look good. And we're trivialising or over-trivialising what they actually mean. How do you react to that? 
Well, you've got an interesting concept, haven't you? You're talking about peer pressure, and peer pressure is commonest in youth. So it's very noticeable in the first week of the puppy appeal that school children who are on half term are pressurizing their parents to come and get the puppy, which I'm delighted about because the parents come and give money and the children wear the puppy, and there is a sort of peer pressure in some schools to wear the puppy. However, when you talk about adults, the peer pressure to wear a poppy is far less tangible. Who do people actually acknowledge as their peer these days? And will they then follow that person's wearing of the poppy? And there are fine examples of this. In the House of Commons, for example, they wouldn't be seen without the poppy. TV presenters are given their poppies in makeup, with the notable exception of Jon Snow. You yourself, ten days ago, when I offered you a poppy, declined. So I would ask you, are you wearing a poppy? Uh, is it relevant if I'm wearing a poppy? I'm asking you a question. I have the courtesy to answer me. I am not wearing a poppy, Colonel, no. No. Well, you said you were going to date, no, donate one pound. Do you think that is a suitable amount to give? Uh, I, I do. I, and we heard someone in, in the package there with Justin say 50 pence. It, it's, what would you think is a suitable amount, Colonel? Well, I would be delighted if everyone who bought a property gave me a pound instead of a penny. A penny's a bit naughty. Ted, is it, the Colonel is, uh, is a very um, noted poppy seller in the area. Uh, d- do you think that there is... Uh, uh, some people can be disappointed with the amount of money that's put in the pot. Is that another form of pressure, do you think, Ted? Well, you, you give what you can afford and what you think is right to give. And I don't think one should put any pressure, moral or otherwise, on people as to how much they give. Um, different people can afford different amounts. The, the money itself is very... Um, is absolutely important um, still uh, because there are still young men and women who have come back from the services who are injured, need the support of the Legion uh, through their life. You know, this, is, this is very important. But the, the best thing we can do to honour those who have died is to ensure that the future generations don't have to test their heroism on the battlefield. It's to do with maintaining the peace. And if there is any danger whatsoever that by trivialising or glorifying or over-sanitising the horrors of war through the whole process of remembrance so that politicians in the future might find it easier to persuade people to support a war, then that's just one of those worries we've got to have behind, uh, in our minds all the time. Ted, what's different this year, do you think, about the Royal British Legion's approach to fundraising? Well, they have got in a rather slick PR um, advertising campaign uh, and it is it's a negative, not a positive one. You know, there is something missing. And These I'm are the big posters, aren't they, with a, with a picture of a, a buttonhole and it says there's, there's something missing. There is indeed. And, and, and I'm also a bit worried, too, about this um, slogan of standing shoulder to shoulder with the troops because, not that I'm not showing all respect to those who are serving, but because that is moving away from the origins. Actually, right at the beginning, when the poppy did become the symbol of remembrance, it was worn in grief because there were so many families, sadly, who had lost um, uh, men in the battle in the fir- in battles of the First World War. And it was also worn as a statement that that horrible war should be the war to end all wars. It was a, it was a symbol of, of peace. It wasn't actually to support those troops who were still fighting or still involved it was actually to 
make a statement for peace and mourn and grieve for those who've been lost. Colonel, the, the Royal British Legion, they've got a slick PR machine in that's, that's perhaps changing the message, <clears throat> and the message has evolved over the years to something different. How do you react to that? Well, uh, I've not seen it. It's a big picture of a, a, a lapel, a buttonhole, and it yes, says... Yes, I've heard your description. I've not seen it, so okay. it's not crossed my it's, horizon. Well, it, let me describe it to you and let's get your mm. reaction. It's a picture of a buttonhole, and it says, is something missing? Mm-hmm. What, what, do you not think that's perhaps well, it's a little an empty bit leading? Hole, remember, it's an empty buttonhole. Yes, an empty buttonhole. Yes, is that not a little bit leading, Colonel? Trouble is, most people don't have buttonholes these days. I would agree with Ted Harrison about one thing, and that's bling. The poppy is being turned into a bling album uh, uh, emblem, and people are, are spending twenty pounds or even eighty pounds on uh, these fancy poppies. The poppy is a very simple thing, and it's not worn for pride, it's worn for remembrance. Mm. And it's worn so that people can donate what they can afford to the poppy appeal. And I'll come back to the pound. If you donate a pound, it actually equals tuppence a week over the year. It is not a lot of money. But we need lots of it because the British Legion's commitments to helping people who have served in the forces are absolutely huge, which you know. Colonel, you mentioned earlier on about if you go to the BBC, and this is absolutely true, I don't know if it is this year, I know it has been in the past, that in makeup you are given a poppy. Uh, and I know in the past that you've not been allowed to refuse it. Is that appropriate? Because you are wearing it, almost as you say, surprisingly, for bling. You are, you are not wearing it because you have bought it using your conscience and your own money. It's because you are being told to. That, is that right? I don't know. Ask your colleagues in the BBC. Well, I'm asking you for your opinion, Colonel. Uh, my opinion is that people who wear the poppy should have made a donation for it, and if people are wearing it because it's put on in makeup, then they should be ashamed of themselves if they haven't donated to the Royal British Legion poppy appeal by putting something in a collecting box. Can I ask the kind of a question? Um, it, it, really, it, I think it gets to the nub of some of the, the problems here. The Royal British Legion is the custodian of the dignity of remembrance and of the act of remembrance. It is also has the other responsibility of raising money as best it can, as much as it can, to help those who have been injured in, in conflicts. Um, are there any boundaries uh, to, uh, that the British Legion can cross in actually... Uh, raising the money. Are there some things that are inappropriate? And the sort of things I'm thinking of is when they, British Legion sell um, uh, poppy golf umbrellas to raise the money or do deals with uh, commercial companies so that their products can be associated with the poppy in exchange for money. Well, the commercialization of the poppy is available 52 weeks of the year, isn't it? And if people play golf and they want to wear, uh, carry a poppy umbrella with them, why not? Does that not seem a little disrespectful? To whom? Well, to, to those that have fallen, to be wandering around a golf course celebrating luxury and uh, entitlement and wealth, uh, when it, it should be remembering those that we've lost. Mm, interesting concept, but we should remember the service, the sacrifices of our servicemen throughout the year. If someone carries a, a golf umbrella with a poppy on it, I'm very happy about that. Colonel, I'm a, a big fan of the white poppy that uh, it is remembering our fallen. <laughs> yes. But is also, uh, 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 it, it's embracing pacifism and the end of war. Yes. Which is a nice idea, isn't it? What do you feel about those? White's a rather unfortunate colour, isn't it? White is associated with white feather. White feather equals cowardice. 
you're talking about white poppies, where do white poppies grow? They grow in Afghanistan. They produce heroin. The poppies from Flanders are represented by the colours that the Royal British Legion uses on its poppy. But it has a very specific message, doesn't it? No more war, which is a nice idea. It's a lovely idea, yes. And down history has never happened, has it? Ted, sorry, you want to come in? I think you have to remember the history of the white poppy, um, and that is that it came about in between the the world wars. Um, uh, uh, An Anglican clergyman um, introduced it through uh, an organisation called the Peace Pledge Union. And the idea was that it was a way of being able to reinforce the message of peace at a time when the Act of Remembrance it was felt were becoming too militarized um, and people looked across the channel and saw the way in which certainly in Nazi Germany their act of remembrance had been totally militarized and taken over by the party uh, uh, party state in Germany and I think there was a worry at that stage that the poppy could be hijacked um, maybe today it's not as appropriate and it's not so widely worn but that was the history of it and, and I think one has to bear that in mind. Ted, thank you very much Colonel, you've got, tw- Colonel, you've got 20 seconds, away you go sir The first poppies were sold in 1933 they were a challenge to the continuing drive to war the person driving to war was Hitler what did he do with pacifists Chamberlain was the one who was appeasing and trying to avoid war Thank you very much. We have to end it there, gentlemen. Ted Harrison, uh, author of Remembrance Today, and Colonel John Hamilton, my former sparring partner, and no doubt we'll have him on again because he's always a cracking listen. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I enjoyed that. It was good, wasn't it? Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, that's the phone number to call. We'll be talking more about homeschooling in just uh, a few minutes. But first of all, we've been discussing work experience uh, this morning. Is it a good thing or is it a little bit exploitative? I've been asking for your uh, experiences on work experience. Uh, Shirley's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Ian. Uh, Have you done work experience? Well, I haven't, but I've got grandchildren that have. Right. But I've got twin granddaughters. Yes. I've got one in the sixth form. And one at college. They'll be 17 next week. Right. And both of them, they've both done work experience, but they've both of them now have got off their backsides and they've gone all over the place with their CVs and they have both managed to get paid part-time jobs. And I am so proud of them. Because they've just worked so hard. And did they get... And congratulations to them for, for going around and knocking on doors. That's what it takes sometimes, it isn't it? It certainly does, But yes. did, did they get these because of their work experience, do you think? No, no, it's oh. because they wanted to work. Right. But my one... The one that's in college, she's doing hairdressing. But she... Although she'd got her college place, she really wanted an apprenticeship. Mm. And she put CVs out in every hairdresser that she could think of. And the common thing is that they work, they take them for six months without pay. And then at the end of that six months, they then decide whether or not they're going to take them on for an apprenticeship or whether they just boot them out the door. See, Shirley, six months seems a long time to be working without any cash. I think that is very exploitative. Yeah very exploitative and i just don't agree with that at all okay shirley thank you very much indeed oh eight four five nine four double five five double five what's your experience six months working without getting paid and then well maybe we'll give you a job no i don't think so that seems a little bit um 
excessive, doesn't it? Now, here's another thing we've been talking about all morning. I find this fascinating. BBC Three Counties has discovered that at least a 1,000 children are being homeschooled in the Beds, Hearts and Bucks area, and it seems that number is rising. Parents only have to tell their local council that they're teaching at home if they're withdrawing their child from school, so that number could be much higher to include kids who've never even been to school. June McDonald taught two of her four children at home and set up a group in Bedford. It's the first in the country. Well, hang on, I'm getting... You're st- sticking your fingers up at me. Why? What have I said wrong? It was three of my children, three. in fact. Oh, yes, you're sitting, sticking... Education. Three of my four children. Three of your four children. Uh, you've created a, 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 a thing called Place. What is that? Mm. Explain that to me briefly. Uh, the Place programme is an association between uh, a, a local school in Bedford and the Bedford Borough LA, uh, and it provides lots of measures of funded support for children who are home educated. They mm. are registered with the scheme and are on a subsidiary role at Biddenham Upper School, and there are lots of measures of support from enrichment programmes right through to GCSE support and examinations. So it's kind of a halfway house between homeschooling and, and in inverted commas, normal schooling. Yeah, it's been described as a sort of hybrid between homeschooling and school. Uh, The difference being that the parents still have a great deal of um, say in the direction that their children's education takes Mm. and in how the funding is actually used to support the children's learning. Were there any problems setting this up? Um, well, uh, we're fortunate in having um, a very innovative um, and supportive uh, leader at the school. That's Mr. Mike Beryl, um, who originally was involved in making contact with our local home education group and has been uh, instrumental and extremely supportive in helping us to mm. establish this and keep it going. But didn't, didn't the government have a little bit of a problem with it to start with? Uh, they, was, certain- they thought it was illegal or something. Uh, they certainly did, yes. In the beginning, the issue being that um, technically uh, if children are registered at a school there's an issue if they're not attending right. um, however the LA our local LA um, now supports place as um, an alternative prov- provision and of course there are very many reasons why children are home educated um, and the LA in fact will refer children to the scheme uh, if they feel that it's going to be a suitable provision. Why did you home educate three of your kids? Um I was at home with my second daughter. My first daughter went right through school. I was at home because I was working from home. I'd set up a business Mm. under the Enterprise Scheme. And education never really started at school as such or Mm. at school age. It just naturally developed from my relationship with my daughter as a, a mother. And she began to show interest in reading and writing and could already read uh, and write quite competently by the time she got to mm. statutory school age. Um, so we made a not a long-term uh, decision. We made a short-term decision that things seemed to be going very well at home and I was able to work with her because of the fact that I had the business at home. Um, and we thought, well, why send her at the moment? Because it seemed to be going so well. It's a big commitment. I mean, it's of course, and listen, of course, a lot of people say, well, the, 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 we've had some text saying, well, of course, education should start at home. And it does with us. We've got two little boys, and mm-hmm. our boy's three in January. He, drew, he wrote his first A the other day. We're like, my mm-hmm. God, you've written an A. You're a genius. He is a genius, but that's by the by. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, we're quite happy to start it at home, and then when he gets to school age, mm-hmm. to hand it on to those mm-hmm. people that are qualified mm-hmm. to do it. What mm-hmm. qualifies? Mm-hmm you to teach them? Um, I think that the relationship that parents have with their children is a very special relationship and the um, 
most of a child's learning in terms of language and its perception of the world and its interest in education actually does start with parents. Parents, I think, underestimate the huge influence that they have in their children's mm. lives. And I think, in a sense, whether a child is educated through home education or whether a child is educated through school education, we must never underestimate the significance and importance that parents play and can play mm. in their children's lives. Lives and in particularly in the children's education. One of the great things he goes, the oldest goes to nursery now, is mm. the, is the fact that he is learning things from other people. So mm-hmm. he comes home and says words and phrases and, and mm-hmm. uh, has ideas that we would never have thought of. Mm-hmm. Isn't that part of, of of what it is about sending them out to school? Is they are mm-hmm. learning from other people and getting other mm-hmm. opinions that aren't yours. Mm. Well, uh, you you have that. You are, you're, you're giving an indication of that common misconception about home education that children are cloistered at home and don't have any normal interactions in the real world. Whereas, in fact, home educated children are as much a part of normal society as any other children. The PLACE program, uh, incidentally, does give the children enormous opportunities to mix mm. and socialize and learn together in all sorts of settings. So, um, the children can, in fact, engage and activities, taught activities um, every day of the week if they wish. So there are lots of opportunities for them to socialise, learn together and have that input from other adults. I'm going to ask a question just because we've been asking it all all morning and I would Mm -hmm. feel uh, I'd let the listeners down if I didn't. Are your kids weird? (laughs) No. (laughs) You have to think for a second there. (laughs) No. um, No, they're not weird. No. I wonder what you mean by weird. Well, just because, because the, 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 that interaction, obviously place is, is kind of accommodating that there are, is interaction with other kids and other grown-ups and other situations. Mm. But, but there is a, a perception that, that kids that are homeschooled, and some of them are isolated a bit mm. more than normal, mm-hmm. that they, they don't have uh, the basic social skills that are necessary to, to get, get ahead yeah. in the world. Well, I think you're right, Ian. I think that um, in, in some home education situations, parents may perhaps um, be a little insular and not engage in social interaction as much as would be ideal. Mm. Um, but for me personally and for the families who elect to register with place because that is what they do they choose to register that socialization and that social inclusion and integration and that community is an absolutely critical part of their home education if people want to find out more about place is there a website they can go and have a look at uh, there is yes it's www.place that's p-l-a-c-e hyphen project.org fantastic well listen you've you yeah. put forward an excellent argue, yeah. argument june thank you very much indeed I've had a very interesting email, which I'll read. Indulge me, I'll read it in a second. It's quite long. But coming up in the last hour of the show, find out why so many kids are now being homeschooled in the three counties. Are children who are taught by their parents a bit weird? Reporter Justin Dealey plans to bring together as much astroturf from Luton Town's old pitch as he can. We've been talking all week about it. I don't think he's going to get anywhere. Next Wednesday, he's going to be stood in the BBC Three Counties car park with whatever astroturf he can muster. I don't think he's going to have any. We'll find out how his project is going. And it's Rock and Roll Friday. Got some music coming up later on. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Indulge me if you will. Leone Williams has emailed me. It's a little bit long, but I feel I should read it out because this has never crossed my mind. I never mean to cause offence, but I'll read it out and see what you think. For the attention of Ian Lee. 
please stop using the name of God inappropriately. Mm, yes. Oh my God, my toe hurts. Not necessary. See a doctor. Oh my God, about the English weather. Not necessary. Perhaps if you're in New York recently, yes. I listen to the show 6.30 till 7 daily. Oh, she's not listening anymore. We'll, we'll send her an email. And this week, every day in that half hour, you have used the name of God inappropriately. If you were using Muhammad, you would be out of a job by now. The BBC couldn't cope with the complaints they receive. Stop being offensive to Christians. Thank you, Leonie Williams. I never considered it, really, because God has kind of entered the parlance that it is... I'm, I'm doing God with a small g. And God, as in a God, it's just a phrase, isn't it? It's just a phrase. I know that some people... Well, I know that some people years ago could still be offended by it. And it's one of those things that I say, I'm not going, oh, Jesus. Or, or you know, I'm not doing that. And I, could, I, I would never necessarily do that on the radio. Um, but, but God, really? A, a little straw poll, dear listener. Text, 81333. It means nothing. There's no scientific basis in it at all. Are you offended by me saying God? I do say it a lot. And I don't say it in reference to the Christian God or anything like that. I just say it as, oh, flipping heck. Blimey. Blimey's even worse. Called blimey means God blind me. So, where do you draw the line? 81333. Just a little text. Start your text 3CR. Are you offended by me using the word God? Yes or no? That's all. It won't necessarily change anything. I'm keen to get your opinion. If you want to put a little explanation as well, then please do. Uh, and I'll send Leone a little email later on, just, you know, apologising, but kind of explaining my position on it, that it is now part of the language. But to uh, 81333, start your text 3CR. Does it offend you if I say the word God? It's what we, we all do, don't we? You can give us a call as well if you want, 08459 455 555. I'll, I'll carry on because we've got lots to cram in in this last hour of the show. Have you ever considered teaching your children at uh, home instead of sending them to school? Well, BBC Three Counties has uncovered figures to show at least a 1,000 kids are being homeschooled in beds, hearts and bucks, and that figure is rising. James, who's 11, and uh, 8-year-old Hannah told our reporter Jessica Cooper why they enjoy being taught at home. It's absolutely brilliant. It gives you a lot more free time, and you can get more work done in an hour than anyone can do in a whole day at school because one teacher has to focus on so many students learning the exact same thing whereas at home you can just sit down learn things i mean you could do one morning and you could take the next day off and it is it's so much more free than school do you ever feel like you you miss going to school or you would like to go to school to see other children not really been to school before and i didn't really like it so i went i went to my lower school and then i went up to middle school for about three months and i didn't like it so i came out well heidi carriskin teaches her nine and seven year old children at home and is involved with the milton Keynes group free range education morning heidi morning why did you decide to teach your kids at home um when my son was a baby i researched it quite extensively i met a family who were already home educating their children and um i went to the library i joined education otherwise it's a big big charity organization um and uh, met up with lots of home educating families so by the time my son was school age i i couldn't see any reason to send him to school so i decided to delay it and um perhaps reassess in a year see how we got on and um it went from there i uh i haven't looked back we've made lots and lots of friends and done lots and lots of things but you, you say you couldn't see any reason can, can i suggest some of the reasons perhaps and you can you can bat <laughs> them away as you want right. <laughs> they get to, they get to 
interact with other kids of all different races, religions and backgrounds, and, and, and social backgrounds, yeah. they get the opinions of different adults that are different from you and, and your partner, if you, you have a partner. Yeah. They, um, they get to develop an independence because they're not seeing their parents for quite a few hours in the day. Those yep. are three quite big things, aren't they? Okay, yeah. Um, but you're assuming that my children never leave my house. Um, we go out in the community all the time. Mm. Um, my children get the chance to play with other children on, on our street. They play out all the time with the other children who actually do go to school. Um, they get to socialise with not just children, with adults as well. Um, they're part of my local community, certainly, because I am. And um, they certainly get time to spend away from me. The the activities that uh, Sarah Abbott, who runs Free Education, organises are, are wonderful and very varied. And um, not all of them require me to go with them. So I take them, drop them off, and they have a marvellous time, uh, like the Forest School, um, where one of your reporters mm. was yesterday. And uh, and then I, I go and pick them up and hear about their day. What do people say when, when uh, you say you, you home educate? Do you get funny looks at all? Um, occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some people who, who react like that. But um, I found mostly people are really interested. That if they haven't heard from it before, um, a, a light lights up in their eyes and they, they say, how, how wonderful. Um, they've normally got an awful story about their own schooling to tell and um and they want to know more that's that's a general reaction i get how do you get the kids to how do you structure do you structure it like a normal school day so like from nine till ten thirty we're doing maths and then we're gonna have a little break and then we're gonna do uh, english literature and then it's history how does it work you can do it like that and some educators absolutely do and and that's fine the the wonderful thing about home education is you can tailor it to your child mm. Um, I know my two very well, and they don't tend to concentrate particularly well if I if I force a subject on them. But if, for example, they ask me a, a, a marvellous question, which happens about 600 times a day, oh, of course. We, we make time to answer it. Um, so we can have a um, math lesson over cornflakes for breakfast, which is what we did the other morning, <laughs> um, because they asked me a question and they were engaged and interested. Heidi, you time. can't do a math lesson over, over cornflakes. <laughs> you can't do that. We, they, we need to be, they need to be sat down and focused, don't they? No, absolutely not they were focused and interested at that particular moment in time and they yeah. took in um that particular subject and and question the answer to that question within five minutes rather than spending half an hour trying to force it into them when they weren't interested but kids aren't one of the things that, that made me a little bit um, sad is too strong a word but but anxious was was the, the kid one of the kids who heard that report was um i went to to school for a bit i didn't like it so i got taken out yeah that's kind of tough isn't it <laughs> that's just, that's just tough. There there are loads of situations. There school bits of school I didn't like. I had to stick with it. The jobs I've had I didn't like. I had to stick with them. That's life, isn't it? Um, to a certain extent, yes. Um, but they still get to experience things they don't like. That like because like you say, that's life. And if they're experiencing life at all, um, you, you you still get to experience those things. But it may have been a slight understatement. I'm not entirely sure of the circumstances for that particular child. But, mm. <laughs> you know, didn't like it, could cover a, a huge amount of things. Um, and it, it might have been that uh, actually it was, it was more a horrific experience rather than just a didn't like it experience. Okay. Heidi, free range ed education, what is it and um, um, what do they do? It's 
run by Sarah Abbott. She organises a plethora of activities for home-educated children. Um, there, we had um, a day at uh, Warner School Farm where we learnt about spinning and natural dyeing. Um, they've spent a day at Hatfield House. It's kind of the, the, the cool school trips that yeah. children get to go on. Um, I myself run music classes and we do a, um, a yearly Christmas concert to give the children a chance to experience that kind of thing because that's one thing that home educated children don't get to participate in is the big school concert at yeah. the end of the year so we did one last year and we're doing one this year uh, karate golf badminton, it sounds brilliant it sounds brilliant it genuinely mm. sounds like loads of stuff i would love to have done as a kid i'd yeah. love to do now but what about physics and chemistry and english literature and shakespeare and history uh, uh, do your kids know about those yeah um sarah runs sessions for all of those as well um she does uh, science and english and French and art and Mandarin. Um, you can participate or not as your child is interested. Um, like I said, when, when my children asked me, um, it was a couple of years ago, where, where the wool that we wear comes from, we, we organised the day at the spinning and natural dyeing farm. Heidi, listen, we have to leave it there. Thank you. Heidi Carriscan, uh, who home educates her, her kids who are nine and seven. Thank you very much. Everyone's putting up very good uh, arguments about this. Let's see if Sephora could do the same. Good morning, Sephora. Hi, good morning. You're in Milton Keynes. You've been homeschooling your kids for, for a couple of years, have you? I have, yes. What, what, what ages are they and what made you make that decision? Um, my girls are now aged eight. Uh, they will be nine next month. Yep. Um, and uh, they did actually go to school for a couple of years. Um, we actually pulled them out when they were in year two. Um, and the main reason was I felt that um, school just wasn't catering for their needs. I felt that particularly one of my daughters... Um, was not being stretched enough um, and I felt that I had to keep going into school and telling them about how bored she was and one thing I have often found with schools is that if you've got well-behaved, quiet children, they tend to get overlooked a lot um, and one thing I found about our particular school, the school that we went to, was that um, they were using very much a one-size-fits-all approach to the children's education which I feel, you know, as Heidi was saying earlier on, if you're homeschooling, you can tailor-make your child's education. So you're teaching them what they need, as they need it, at the correct level. But then, so couldn't, Sophia, couldn't you then do that at home anyway? So they go to school and they have that one kind, that, that, that approach to schooling, and then they come home in the evening, you can kind of educate them in your side as well. So they're getting the... Because there is a danger that, that your style of education, and I don't know what it is, but that could be perceived as being a bit one-sided as well, and a bit biased. You could say that, but, um, you know, as you say, you know, well, you were saying that they could get the best of both worlds, but I, I feel that going into school doesn't necessarily mean they're, going, they're getting the best of both worlds. I think they also suffer from many other things that don't exist if they're educated at home, such as um, peer pressure, having to fit in with all the other children. And, and do but that's life, though, isn't it, Sephora? That's life. That's what we all is. have to learn to deal with that. It is, but I think, you know, I think as a parent, you know, I'd like my children to learn about all of this in a very, in a, in a, in a more sensible approach. I don't think that being put in a classroom full of 30 children where everybody is you know, feeling as though they've got to do the same thing, you know, fit into a mould almost. So for a listen, we have to end it there. I can, uh, sorry to, to cut you short, we're running a bit short of time, and I can hear the cats calling you as well, so go and sort that out. Thank you very much. I'm finding this fascinating. So much to cram in in this hour, though. Joined now by Jonathan Vernon-Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to have you here. You sounded like, um, a balloon with the air being let out. <laughs> Very slowly. Oh dear, lovely, oh dear, lovely, lovely to have you here, my darling. Uh, the uh, the good news for all the listeners good who news. are wondering what the hell's he laughing about? Yes, is the whole of what has just gone on 
has been recorded <laughs> will be on the internet later on today. So oh, people... <laughs> I didn't know. No. <laughs> I thought you were holding a, just a cassette. Oh, nuts. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to go onto the... Uh, will this be on Facebook later? Yeah, oh. it'll be on Facebook. You must go on to uh, the Three Counties Radio Facebook page later on and watch what just went uh, on. No. I was, only jo- I was only joking. I was only joking. You're not fired, Ollie. It was just a joke. Didn't know it was being... Jonathan, how lovely to see you. Oh, dear, oh, dear. You made me hurt. Oh, you make me hurt every oh, day you leave me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so You're nice in to a see. Terrifying mood today. Uh, t- uh, yes, I've, I tell you what, I had to work up with a migraine. I took far oh, too many painkillers. Is that what? It, uh, yes, you seem a little bit medicated. I am. I am medicated. Yes, <laughs> I am medicated. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, it looked like you were doing the Backstreet Boys dance. There. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> the Backstreet Boys are now. The Backstreet Boys have teamed up with New Kids on the Block to make NKOTBBS <laughs> B. I think. Oh. Imagine that. That's too many letters. Quick, let me get on with this so I can get out of here. It's oh. a scary place to be. Okay, please. Are you want to leave my drug den? Or <laughs> <laughs> there, for that is what it is this morning. <laughs> Legal. Tell us what you've got on your show, and then away with thee. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to be... We're going for lunch today. Are you going to be all right? Oh, well, I'll have come down by then, oh, yes. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. You'll be on your downer then, yes. you? Yes. <laughs> so, well, are you paying? Boss is paying. Uh, who's paying? I don't... We've not actually discussed who's paying. Boss I thought you'd be paying. Boss is paying. Really? Boss, boss takes you out for lunch. Boss pays. Ah. Boss equals BBC equals licence payer. Thanks very much, dear listener. Where are we going, though? That's the question. Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what What's on the did? show? Coming up on the show this morning, I've been very, uh, very interested in your discussion you've been having about wearing the poppy. Yes. Loved your conversation again with the Colonel. Uh, coming up after nine, should everyone in the UK wear a poppy? Where's Re- yours? Remember, uh, it's on my coat upstairs. I knew you were going to ask me that. Okay. But it's on my coat, but it's gone all floppy. The joke this morning from my producer, who's such a wag, she said, you've not watered it. But the, the reality is, after wearing they're it, just... Pa- they're made of paper, you wouldn't, that's ridiculous. Exactly, but if, after just a couple of days, they tend to go a bit droopy. You get a floppy poppy. You do get a floppy poppy, and I've got a floppy poppy on my coat upstairs. But, remember, it's Sunday, it takes place this weekend, and millions of people are already wearing a poppy as a mark of respect. But every year, there's a debate about the wearing of poppies, and some people express concern that they've been made to feel guilty for not wearing their poppy. Well, from nine this morning... Should everyone in the UK wear a poppy? Should you be thoroughly ashamed of yourself if you've not got a poppy on? Should you, where's yours? You said to the Colonel earlier, you've not got one. Where's yours? <laughs> uh, I have a, n- no poppy, floppy or otherwise. Why not? I don't have a poppy. I'm decide- I put two pounds in their box the other day. Well, you put a quid for me. Thank you very much. I'll go and <laughs> grab one as I walk past the set. I, 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 I do feel a little bit... In two minds about it. Right. There is a lot of pressure, I think, particularly here at the BBC, to wear a poppy. Yes. Um, if we were in vision on, on, on the telly, for those not technically minded, w- that we would be... We are. Oh. We, would be, we will be frowned upon for not wearing a poppy. And I just kind of think, because I'm a pacifist, and I don't, necess- I don't particularly agree with the wars that are going on at the moment... Well, that oh, gives... sometimes they're necessary. That one against Hitler, that was necessary. Well, yeah, that was quite a few years ago. Well, it's still necessary. Well, yeah, it was necessary. pacifist going to have said, oh, no, let's just let him do whatever he wants to do. No, that's, of course no. not. No, of course, we, we fought the forces of international fascism. Exactly. Then. My grandfather's a tank driver. My grandfather didn't fight in the war. Didn't he? No. Well, from nine this morning, I want to know, should everyone in the UK wear a poppy? 08459 555. Uh, it's been a terrifying morning, but I've quite enjoyed it.
<laughs> I think they've spat on you there. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Vernon <laughs> Smith will be on at nine o'clock. Always worth a listen. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, uh, always worth a listen. I thoroughly recommend you listen to, to Jonathan at nine o'clock. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, your son or daughter may be finding it difficult to get to work. Well, businesses in the Hertfordshire village have come together to offer work experience with a difference. Teenagers try out a number of different jobs with different companies rather than just one, so they kind of move around from place to place. Recent statistics showing that one in five youngsters are currently out of work in Hertfordshire. Well, earlier on, we heard uh, from our reporter, Sophie Solaria, who is speaking to Chris Steeler. She's one of the young people involved in this scheme. She was about to start her first date with an estate agent in Kings Langley. Let's find out how she's getting on. Hey. I'm Richard Clayson. I'm the director of Pendley Estates in Kings Langley. Richard, you've taken on your first work experience on the Kings Langley scheme today. What are you going to be telling Christina to do? Well, she's going to be moving around the office, seeing various different people. She's with David at the moment, looking at sales progression. And she's going to move on to uh, Karen, who's going to help her with uh, loading up some references and looking at how we market rental properties. And we're also going to get her out taking some photographs. Photographs, which is exactly what Christina wants to do. Well, she loves photography. Yes, I understand. Which makes her a kindred spirit to Rachel who's our office photographer, so they'll be going out together later on to get some nice pictures. Why do you think it's good to, to encourage young people to do these kind of schemes? Well, I think if they're left on the sidelines, they're just going to be left fending for themselves and forgotten. Um, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of talent out there. They just need the confidence to come in somewhere like this and spend some time with us and see what we do. I'm going to find out from Christina how she's enjoying her first day. Hello, Christina. You've been here a, a good couple of hours now. Tell me how it's going at the estate agents. Yeah, it's going well. Um, things are a lot more complicated than you think they are with yeah. buying houses and how you have to have so many people involved and things like that. I've just been told you're going to be going out with maybe a photographer a bit later on to take photos of houses. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that'll be really exciting because I've never really done anything like that and seeing how they make things look good and the angles. <laughs> so that really taps into your love of photography, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Well, listen, good luck with the rest of it and hopefully we'll catch up in a few months to find out how you got on. Thank you. Well, with us now is the person who thought of the idea. It's Jeff Falkins. He owns Dalling & Co., the deli in Kings Langley. Morning, Jeff. Good morning. You came up with this idea because you and the local butcher are having a bit of a moan. Is that right? Well, you know, you get to a certain age and you have to whinge about things. And oh. We had a good moan back in the early part of the year. I'm looking forward to get, becoming an old man, Jeff, because I'm <laughs> going to be so grumpy and so miserable. And I am already at 39. So how did, how did you, what were you saying? What, how did this come about? Well, there'd been some press about um, the, the, the job seekers having to do work for various companies, and it was skewed in two different directions, depending on which part of the media you were listening to. But yeah, we were just saying, well, it would really be great to help, help in our shops and small businesses struggle, and wouldn't it be great we could give back the experience of trying different businesses? Who knows, maybe it would lead to a job, or at least, at least open people up into seeing the kind of things that are out there and really what they do want to do, what they don't want to do. And I mentioned it to our MP, and he mentioned it to the Secretary of State for uh, Employment at the time, and the next thing I know, my wife and I, Claire, were down at Westminster talking about it, and they were setting it up as a kind of pilot project to see how it worked, and maybe it could be moved around the country. So there is talk of this, isn't there, as you, as you say, of it, of it becoming a, a nationwide scheme? Well, apparently, I mean, um, you know, what the minister did was got the job centre people in Watford in touch with us, and they've been fantastic. They're really, really organised and really good. And we got people in here. And I think we've, we've had a visit from the Deputy Prime Minister's office, um, you know, to talk about it further, because they're very keen on youth, unemplo youth unemployment. 
our youth employment. Yes, yeah, so, so they're, they're keen on youth <laughs> unemployment. Some people would say that, yes. No, it wouldn't sound right, no. And, um, and so, you know, we'll see how it goes. I know there's certainly a keen interest because it's, it's a win-win for everybody, really. It doesn't cost the taxpayer any money. Mm. The organization is already in place to get candidates forward. For shopkeepers or business, business owners, um, we have all sorts of different businesses in King's Line you get involved. It, it does cost us a bit of time and it gives us a bit of help. We get a bit, you know, those shelves you need dusting or odd little things you don't get around to and you're certainly not going to hire a new member of staff for. Mm. Yeah, it catches up, and everybody kind of wins out of the thing. And, and so far, you know, the young people we've had through have, have, for the most part, generally enjoyed it. How many people have you had come through? Um, it's about six or seven right now. You say generally enjoyed it. Have there been some that have gone, I'm not doing that? Well, um, we had a couple just didn't come in again. They came once or twice <laughs> and just didn't show up. Uh, they got the apprentice, uh, you're fired comment five right. days later when they did call. Has anybody received a paid job off the back of this? Um, yes, there's one young man who, who uh, is doing some part-time work with, uh, with a local uh, uh, plastics firm, a really, really enthusiastic owner, Mark, and he's just been supportive from the first day. When I first even told him that the MP had got moved this forward, he was like, right, put my company in there, I definitely want to do that, and mm. he's really fantastic. And uh, I think he's got this young chap on, on board for, for a couple of days a week. Uh, another young chap got uh, an opportunity from through one of the jobs he did. There's a, a, a car restoration firm in Kings Langley, and the chap there put him in touch with somebody for an IT apprenticeship. Unfortunately, that's an example that, you know, where it didn't work so well. That he was all excited and really interested, and it went and then didn't show up for a few days. And the guy who was running it, like most businessmen, turned around and said, well, you're not going to be here, forget mm. it. So, you know, it, it, it's mixed. There are some people, Jeff, who would say that this is exploitative. You're just getting young people in to do all the jobs that you don't want to do for free. Yeah, well, I, I, I would tell you, I would challenge anyone on that. It's not like that at all. These, the, all these people have said, well, first off, they're learning, they're learning skills. They're learning, however temporary and how brief it might be, they're getting experiences they wouldn't have normally. Many of them have never had any experience. They're not equipped for the workforce. Um, I've had to show people literally how to hold a broom and, say, and so how to mop a floor. So I'm doing it as well. And it's nothing we wouldn't do ourselves. They're getting a chance to experience new things. And the comment that's come from many of them has been, when it's been finished, they've said, gosh, it's really a shame. We really, really want to get into work because it was worth getting out of bed for. It was nice to have something to get out of bed for. Jeff, one final question, going off on a slight tangent. How on earth did a Canadian end up in Kings Langley with a deli? <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing by your accent. I'm hoping I put my money on the right colour there. Oh, absolutely. There we go. Um, yeah, um, I have just good luck, I guess. I, I, I've been living in Europe and got moved here. I was working in, uh, in a different industry at the time, and I ended up here. And, and what we've got now is, is um, a really good thing. I'm married to a fantastic woman from the Midlands, player who really is the brains of the operation in the deli. And um, she, you know, she takes care of it all. I can hear your phone ringing. People are desperate to get some cheesecake and some bagels. Off you go, Jeff. Thank you very much indeed. Jeff Falkins owns Dalling & Co., the deli in King's Langley. Why do we talk to foodie people at this time of the morning? It's not fair. Now I'm hungry. Now I'm thinking I could do with some of that. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the last half hour. We'll have a, the result in a few minutes of that little off-the-cuff poll we took, whether you're offended with me using the word God or not. Don't text it anymore. We have the figures. We'll get there shortly. Now, the NHS has today warned, uh, been warned, sorry, of a significant rise in patient complaints by the health service ombudsman. In one case, a bereaved daughter was told death is rarely an ideal situation for anyone. And a multiple sclerosis sufferer from Hertfordshire had his catheter bag delivery stopped without warning. 
The Ombudsman's report also highlights a 16% rise in patient complaints about being struck off by a GP, uh, struck off a GP list unfairly, in spite of issuing a warning about this uh, very issue last year. Well, James Johnston is Director of Health Investigation for the Ombudsman. Good morning, James. Good morning. Hello. What can you tell us about this complaint against NHS Hertfordshire? Well, the complaint is one of uh, a number of examples in our national report here this morning. Um, the complainant, uh, Mr H, um, had multiple sclerosis, as you say, and was using a, a catheter bags um, to drain his bladder. Um, when his supply of bags ran low, he would ring his local farm, uh, his local PCT, the NHS Hertfordshire, mm. and they would arrange for a replacement supply of bags to be provided. However, the procedures changed, and one day when he rang them, um, they told him they couldn't send him any more under the new procedures. He'd have to go to see his GP, get a prescription, before they would then provide them to him. Uh, he rang our office um, and said he'd been given a warning about this, and obviously given the situation it, he was in, it was quite important. It was resolved quick, quickly. So we spoke to NHS Hertfordshire, explained the situation to them, and arranged for them to help and luckily they agreed to continue providing the bags under the previous arrangements until he was able to put um, matters right with his GP and move across to the new way of working. So what we're seeing in that one example is something we see across a number of the other cases we've highlighted Mm. in our report that relatively straightforward matters such as the apologies and explanations and the example you showed of quite insensitive comments in response to bereavement um, can be put right better locally and we would ask the NHS to do more of that in future. Complaints against East and North Hertfordshire NHS trusts have more than doubled haven't they? Lister and QE2 hospital fall under this trust. It's quite worrying isn't it James? Well the thing to bear in mind in looking at the numbers in isolation is that there are lots of different factors that can affect them um or an organization might encourage more complaints and be more open about complaints being made which is a good thing and that might mean more numbers come through we've seen from the hertfordshire area around 300 complaints coming through to us of which about 100 were from that trust but actually we've only needed to invoke our full investigative powers in 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 just three examples of those cases the vast majority have been able to be put right without the need for us to use our full investigative powers so it it is a mixed picture what we're saying is some of these very straightforward relatively um um straightforward themes that can be picked up should be responded to better at local level to make sure that complaints are viewed as opportunities to learn Mm. that's what most people who come to us say they want is for other people not to have the same experience they've had and that people can have reassurance that when things do go wrong as they will from time to time in a complex organization like the nhs things are put right there and then without the need for the complaint to come through to the ombudsman we've got figures for bedfordshire and bucks too and they haven't really increased why would one trust like hearts see an increase is it because they're doing things so uh, terribly wrong are are there more grumpy complainers in hertfordshire well a lot of different things can affect the numbers, as, as I say, in isolation. So uh, without being able to go into the detail of mm. all the individual cases. Um, but what's important is that when complaints are made, they're valued and they're learnt from, and that they are resolved as best as possible at local level. And as I say, if the cases which have come through from that organisation, the vast majority have been resolved without the need for a full formal investigation by the office. Is there a chance that these complaints could go more unheard as the NHS overall get, uh, overhaul gets underway? 
Well, the, as you highlight, the NHS is going through an unprecedented period of change in its 60-year history, and what we're highlighting in our report is that as new organisations come into the NHS, as different organisations pick up different kinds of services, that focus on making sure that complaints are dealt with well at local level continues to take place, and where people are getting a good response to their complaint about an NHS service, whether that's provided by an independent provider or an NHS provider they can come through to the ombudsman service if they're not happy with how their complaint has been responded to and we will look very carefully at the issues they've raised and get our own clinical advice if needed so that we can make sure that things are being put right where they've gone wrong thank you very much james johnson director of health investigation for the ombudsman call 08459 455 555 a little update. The only Williams emailed me and said, please stop using the name of God inappropriately. Please stop being offensive to Christians. Uh, and I'd never really thought about it. And it's, it, it. I'm not using God with a capital G. I'm not, I'm not using the Christian God. It's just a word, isn't it, in my opinion. We had a little straw poll uh, via the text. The results are in. I'm surprised. I'm on, I'll be honest, I'll be surprised. 60% of you offended by it. 60% of those who texted in. I tell you what, I'm not going to stop it completely because it's so so much part of my vernacular. I will be aware of it and I will try and lower it a little bit. That's the best I can promise. I will be aware of it and I will, will try and say something else instead. Oh, well, please, I don't... I, I nearly did it then! I nearly did it then! It's so, so part of me! Now, this is just going to be... Um, we, we covered a story about a potential five-a-side Astro uh, football pitch in the Bedfordshire village, uh, village of Eaton Bray. Uh, and it, it, was, it was very fiery. It sounds like a small thing, but listen, lots of you have got village greens and you want to protect them, and it, it actually became very fiery and very feisty. Well, Justin Daly, uh, who is our AstroTurf correspondent, got all excited. All right, girls, all right, listen, I've got a great idea, girls. All right, what we're going to do, right, is, basically, he's a big fan of Luton Town, and he bought a tiny square, the tiniest square, of Luton Town's AstroTurf pitch for a tenner. Right, they saw him coming, and it was th- this pitch was was used. I don't know in the eighties. I don't know. And he said, "What we'll do is there must be thousands of people uh, a- across the country, across beds, hearts, and bucks that have got bits of this astroturf. We'll put out a call on the radio. We'll get all of these people together, and then next week, next Wednesday, we'll get them together and we'll recreate in the BBC Three Counties car park. We will recreate." Luton Town's pitch, and we'll get like a legend of the, the club to come and play on it, and it'll be fantastic. And we're like, Justin, I don't, I really don't think this one's going to fly. I really don't think this one's going to work. He's, no, 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 trust me, there'll be thousands. We did it. We mentioned it on Wednesday. We had one call from a bloke who said, Yeah, I've got some. Can you come in on Wednesday? Uh, probably not. Embarrassing. Well, Justin Dealey's on uh, with us now. Good morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. This Hello. is this is embarrassing, mate. And no. you're next Wednesday. Hey, listen, I, I've just been approached by two traffic wardens. Say <laughs> move. I, I, I promise you, the hand on my heart, the first thing they said was, how are you getting on with the pitch? Yeah, because they feel sorry for you, Justin, no, because you know that next don't. week it's going to be you and your little square inch of, of <laughs> oh. greengrocer's grass in the car park, looking all sad and lonely, well. and then collecting your P45 straight after. No, 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 you are wrong. Hang on a second, we've got some scaffolders doing some work here. You are wrong, because the AstroTurf 
Telegraph hotline has been red hot this week. <laughs> There's a hotline? Yes, wow. there is. There is a hotline. I can tell you that we've tracked down, get this, at least 75% of the old AstroTurf pitch. <laughs> you kept that up your sleeve? 75%. Is really? That incredible? Yes, where, yes. Where is it? Well, we started off with, with my 10 centimetres, which is at <laughs> it, home. It literally is 10 <laughs> square centimetres. It's tiny. It's a tenner. They totally saw you coming. Fans have been in touch. They have rolls of the pitch. I got two texts last night. Uh, oh. Somebody in Flissing apparently has got a huge roll. Somebody in Luton has got a huge roll. But yesterday, yes. I spoke to an AstroTurf dealer who also whoa, whoa, owns... Whoa, whoa. Well, hang on, sorry. And there, there are dealers in AstroTurf? Yes. This is yes. fantastic. This is okay. wonderful, yes. They, they, they sniff it all day long, and they <laughs> love it. So, th- this AstroTurf dealer said to me that, yes, the Luton Town pitch, it was me that purchased the majority <laughs> of that pitch back in 1991. He got very excited. Hold on, hold on. Went away, came back, went, yeah, I've still got it. I've still got it. So... He is going to bring the pitch next week wow. via a lorry. <laughs> we, we might need a crane for this. We might need a crane. But uh, we are definitely going to have at least 75% of the pitch. Where are we going to uh, put it? The car park's well, not that big. We'll have to drag it around the corner as well okay, and yep. go up the hill. Yep. But um, I can tell you that uh, you were taking the mickey the other day. But, um, the AstroTurf hotline's been red hot. We've got 75% of the pitch. Well. May not be next Wednesday. Potentially oh. next Friday. Okay. But okay. Um, we are there. We are there, Ian. And have we got a legend of Luton Town Football Club, if such a thing exists, to come and kick a ball on it? Not quite. I've got to be quite delicate with that conversation. Um, we might go for something like Mick Harford, and the reason we might go for Mick yeah. um, is because the last game on that AstroTurf pitch was back in 1991. Right. Luton had to beat Derby to stay up. They beat them 2-0. Yeah. Mick Harford... Who is Mick Harford? Mick Harford. Who is Mick Harford? How Mick very Harford? dare you? Yes. Legend. Absolute Luton Town legend. Right. Uh, played for the club, um, also managed the club. That didn't go too well, but... Um, he is a legend. He was playing for Derby that day against Luton, and he scored an own goal. <laughs> Luton had to stay up. Luton had to stay up. They had to win to stay up. Mick Arthur scored the own goal, so... Did he I, do that deliberately? Well, we think he might have done. Oh, we'll find Apparently out. Apparently, he admitted it two years ago. We can hopefully ask him that How question face-to-face. So, the other person who scored that day, Lars Elstrup, we believe he's now in a cult in Denmark, so he might be hard to track down. But Mick Harford, we know, lives locally, and we can oh. hopefully get him in the studio and recreate that famous own goal. Okay, so we're... <laughs> that's what we're going to do. So we, we, we're aiming for next Friday now, are we? We're aiming for next Friday and saying that other leads are coming in. Uh, somebody <laughs> said to me yesterday that... <laughs> 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 You're loving this. I um, really thought you could have egg yeah. all over your face. No, You're loving not this. At all. Apparently, um, Whipsnade Zoo bought some of the pitch as well. Oh, so dear. we're going from Cambridge um, to Whipsnade Zoo. And we also think, and leave this one with me, we also think the AstroTurf yes. that was used at Kenilworth Road might have been used in a Hollywood film. Leave that one with me. Justin Daly, we will leave it with him. There you go. He kept that quiet. He came in this morning and we were all jibbing him. Saying, oh, Justin, don't forget we're going to do the AstroTurf today. He's very, very quiet. He had a little confident smirk, though, didn't he? Justin Daly, well done. Okay, well, that's very exciting. We're going to make history. 21 years anniversary. We're going to recreate that goal. Speaking of homeschooling, so sorry, we're going off on so many tangents. Barbara from Houghton Regis. Good morning, Barbara. Hello. Uh, now, we've been talking about homeschooling uh, this morning. Yeah. Is it the best place to teach your kids? Did you, bring, did you teach your kids at ho- uh, uh, home? Right, I taught them at school for the first eight years. 
and then I took them out of school for the final three to four years, and then I put them back into the school system, but, uh, but at college level. Why did you take them out? Right, the first child I took out because she was dyslexic, I'd had her um, tested to be a, a dyslexic, and I found the school gradually getting harder. Mm. I found her, in the end, I found them dis actually were making it life very difficult for me. Um, I got her into the Dyslexic Institute for half a day a week to have a spe specialist lessons, but the school would not allow me to actually t uh, go down that route. I needed to have her out on a Wednesday afternoon to get her over to Bedford from Dunstable. They wouldn't let you do that? No, no they wouldn't let me do oh. it. They said no, and so I felt I needed that. Um, my daughter was crying going to school every day because she was so distressed with school at that point. Mm. Um, I put up with that for a year. Of, of trying to he get the school to, to help me and uh, I felt that they were being the opposite and in the end because my daughter was so distressed and I mean so distressed I felt she was on the point of a nervous breakdown she's not that type of child she sat down at Christmas in the armchair and she cried and she cried cried away through Christmas she did not want to take part in anything and that was not her at all no Barbara so listen, I'm I, sorry I to hurry on we're, we're running out of time very quickly did it work did, did they oh, benefit absolutely it worked I, 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 in the end she had several GCSEs and then I sent her to Barnfield College where they picked up and they were marvellous superb I'm sorry to keep it so short Barbara we are running out of time but I'm glad that it worked for you and your, your, your kids that's fantastic very excitingly uh, today Nick Coff was got Brian May on. Oh yeah, him from Queen. He's going to be on. Um, talking about all kinds of bits and pieces. And he's always a, he's a thoroughly decent chap. I've met Brian May and he just look, he's still got that big pompadour hairstyle. Uh, and he just, it's all grey. He looks like a bonkers old professor, but he's so nice. So he'll be on uh, with Nick uh, a little bit later on. Uh, now, listen, every Friday we've kind of got into this thing where we get a musician in and we've had some odd stuff. We've had a ukulele band, we've had harps and we've had some more kind of straightforward stuff. This morning, uh, I'm joined by Cy Cranston. Good morning, Cy. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? You right? I'm really good, mate. You're Great kind of wide, a bit perky for a musician at this time of the morning. Uh, yeah. Expecting... Well, you know, I've got a couple of kids that get me up at six in the morning. How old are your kids? Uh, my son, Caius, is one and my daughter, Tiva, she's three. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Mine are the same age. and we three and one in January. Right, and awesome. they're, uh, they're, they're bonkers at that age, aren't they? Crazy. Great fun, but yeah, sleep, forget it. It goes out the window. And the three-year-old is kind of like chatting away and... She, yeah, she's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's like three going on 30, you know. <laughs> it's quite frightening. And it's... A, are you getting the why? Why? <laughs> Daddy, why? Yeah. Why? No, we're yeah. turning this off. Why turning it off, Daddy? Yeah. That's the, just the constant conversation. Yeah. Why? We're going to yeah. get in the car. Why? Yeah. Exactly. Do the yeah. seatbelt. Why? <laughs> it never goes. I love it, but it never goes. Now, listen, you started out busking. I did. Uh, uh, years ago, I did a bit of busking. Did it's, you? it's terrifying, isn't it? It's freaky. It's frightening. The first time I ever went out busking was on the streets of uh, the cobbled streets of uh, Canterbury, yep. uh, where I was uh, brought up. And um, uh, basically, I remember the, the day I did it, and I just was like petrified and there was a roadblock and i thought the road was closed and i said to my guitarist at the time look can we just cancel let's just cancel let's not do this because yeah. i just was petrified that what were people going to make of me and what were people going to think of me anyway i did did my little four songs and um yeah 70 quid in the hat excuse me half an hour that, well, hang on a minute, that's better than getting here. 70 quid in half an hour, I never mm. made that in... Uh, I mean, I did it a few times. The thing I found terrifying about it is the starting up. Once you're in it and yeah. doing it, it's fine, but it's yeah. the... Because if you go and do a gig, yeah. there's an expectation. You're going to walk on the stage, you're going to play yeah. some songs, people will applaud, yeah. and you'll get off. But if you're yeah. stood outside Barclays or Safeway yeah. or something, yeah. and you're doing it, it's weird. It is, it is. It's something you just kind of overcome, and obviously the years I've been out there doing it is, is just second nature now. But, uh, yeah, 
It's kind of like, busking? What is that? You're like a tramp on the street. Get off. <laughs> Get a proper job. You get some yeah. good buskers, though. You, can see some, you see some terrible people. You do. I you quite do. like the terrible people, but you <laughs> see some cracking people as well. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my father was a street trader, so right. kind of like, even though I was petrified the first time I actually went out there to do it, it just became second nature to me after a it's while. It's kind of so. in your blood. It is, yeah. Uh, standing in the street, I love it. I love the hustle and bustle of people, and I just love, you know, being out in the fresh air and singing. In fact, it's bizarre, because even though I've got my band and we're playing all around the world now, yeah. um, which is wonderful, I often miss that the kind of like the personal touch to busking. The fresh air, um, the acoustics of my voice, you know, reverberating off the, the pavements. I miss all that, because it all gets a bit crazy, you know, the technology, the PAs. The <laughs> well, you're going, off, you're going off to Vegas. I am. Yes. So you talk about technology and PAs <laughs> and craziness. That's the craziest place in the world. How, it is. How it on is. earth did you get that gig? Well, I actually cool. played there earlier this year. Right. Uh, and the promoter loved the band and myself that much that he insisted upon us playing th- uh, next year where Little Richard is headlining. Sorry, are you... It's just amazing. Are you opening up for Little Richard? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get much cooler than know, that. It doesn't. It that doesn't. man invented rock and roll. I know. Elvis. It was I that know. fella that did well, it. Yeah, yeah. What's the name of the band? We should mention that. Oh, well, it's Cy Cranston. It's me. Right. Um, oh, okay, right. So, so it's kind of the band that I've sort of assembled behind my voice. Yeah. And um, when you say rock and roll, it's interesting because I fuse kind of gospel soul with rock and roll, it, which is kind of interesting that Little Richard's name has been brought up because yeah. Little Richard inspired a whole generation of soul crooners, soul shouters. Otis Redding probably wouldn't have been Otis Redding without Little Richard. He was a Little Richard impersonator. Yeah. And of course, Otis Redding inspired generations of soul singers. So it's bizarre how music can cross the genres there. And, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I love listening to gospel soul. I love listening to rock and roll. And to me, it's all wonderful music. I'm going to shut up. Do you want to sing us a song? I will indeed. Speaking of Otis Redding, I'll do a quick cover for you. This is Dock of the Bay. Lovely. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in Then I'll watch them roll away again Yes, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Oh Lord, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Look like nothing's gonna change Everything still remains the same, Lord I can't do what tell people tell me to do, yeah So I guess I'll remain the same Just sitting here resting my bones And this loneliness won't leave me alone See, two thousand miles I've roamed Just to make this dock my home Nah, I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Ooh, Lord, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Just wasting time Listen 
anybody that comes in and whistles on this show gets a round of applause. We'll have some of that. <laughs> you were doing, the, cheekily, you were going for the teeth whistle as well. Not the lip I whistle, was, the teeth I, whistle. I chipped my tooth um, uh, doing uh, martial arts years ago and I've still got a little hole. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you very You're much. You're playing in Biggleswade Way tonight. I am indeed. Is it, is it covers? Is it originals? Is it It's mix? all originals, really. Right. Most, uh, we, got, we throw a few covers in there and we do a couple of Jackie Wilson songs, but uh, with the band, I've kind of built a show of original songs. I've been songwriting my whole life yeah. and uh, I was lucky enough to live next to Graham Lyle, who was one of the big songwriters for, Jack, uh, for Michael Jackson and yeah, Tina yeah. Turner. Wow. Uh, and I was a mate with his son. We used to ride bikes together and he was a huge influence to me as a teenager. How was, cool is that? I was going to join the services and then he called me up and said, Si, I think you've got the qualities of a <laughs> true songwriter. So I ditched my ideas of army careers and uh, went down the pathway of music and I've never looked back. It's very quick. You're running out of time. Is, is there a website if people want to go and, and find out more about you? Indeed there is. It's SyCranston.com. It's Cycranstoon spelt with a U, so that's C-R-A-N-S-T-O-U-N. Listen, we've got two minutes. Can you yep. give us another one? Yeah, sure. This Go is Coupe Deville. Now it was early on a weekday morning And it seemed a sunny day was dawning And we were down along the roadside strolling Cause that night we'd been a rock and rolling And oh, then the thunder of a 5.4 V8 And all I got to see Was a little bit of me In the rear tailgate Coup de ville You rode up and you took my Everything Stole my pretty girl away On four wheels In a spin You destroyed me with that two-door 53 I can't conceal My story's real Cause the girl left me for a coup de ville Now I confess that you're a handsome devil And you're driven by a rocking rebel and you've been riding on a different level In the finest way a man can travel And oh, then the thunder roared of a 5.4 V8 And all I got to see was a little bit of me in the rear tailgate Who the bill you rode up and you took my everything Stole my pretty girl away on four wheels in a spin You destroyed me with that two-door 53 I can't conceal, my story's real Cause the girl left me for a coup de ville Fantastic! We'll have some of that. Sorry, sorry to cut you a bit short. Uh-huh. We've got to go to the travel. Superb stuff. Cy si Cranston, thank you very much thank for coming in. Oh, there we go. Let's hit that one, shall we? Cy si Cranston, thank you very much. Quickly give that website again. if people Indeed, yes. It's CyCranston.com. Visit me 24 hours of the day. There you go, you see. Don't, don't, not too late tonight. Let's not be rude. Right, have a nice weekend. JVS up next. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.